That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. <laughs> BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, I want to know what you thought of it. And you know what I'm talking about. 71. 71 points. I don't care who it came against. It came in a legitimate NBA game and sort of underscored the idea that it's Damian Lillard against the world. Would anybody begrudge him if he raised his hand at any point and went, hey, uh, I've done what I can here? No, you wouldn't. But also, I think we got an opportunity over the weekend to appreciate what it is in this modern NBA to have a bona fide star player. Blazers get a win. Lillard gets 71-41 at halftime, getting a lot of respect nationally. We'll talk to Sean Hyken, who was one of the only local media members who showed up for the game. We'll talk to him on the program coming up. Uh, he was there in person. You know, again, it was the it was the Rockets, and uh, Hyken goes to all the games. He doesn't handpick them, but uh, I want to know what you thought of it. Were you there? Did you see it? Did you watch it? Uh, did you listen to it? What was your reaction to it? Lillard with his final bucket here. Here's how it sounded. Gives it back to Grant. Dame will spread out on the sideline to get the rock. High dribble into the lane, running right hander up and in. Damian Lillard with that runner. 71 points, a career high. 22 of 37, 13 of 21 from three. 71 tonight. There it is, Lillard with 71. What did you think of it? I want your reaction. 503-417-7575. And where does it rank on the uh, on the scale of uh, of greatness and great individual performances in our state? Like, you know, I, I saw Marcus Mariota at Oregon on a, on a regular basis. You watched the, the, the great things that he did on the football field. We watched a, a running back at Oregon State, Stephen Jackson. Uh, we watched Jonathan Stewart at Oregon. We watched, uh, you know, former Blazers. We saw Brandon Roy get 50-plus. I saw Damon Stoudemire in person in New Orleans get 50-plus. Uh, but, but, but raising that or elevating that performance to 71, even against the Rockets, is mind-blowing. It's It, it kind of numbs your senses a little bit because when I first saw it, I saw he had 41 at halftime. I was like, that can't be right. And I looked at the box score and went, yeah, that's right. And uh, I want to know what your reaction was to that at 503-417-7575. What do you make of it? Were you there? Were you watching? I want to hear from you. Steven, what would you think of the performance? I mean, unbelievable. Just that's All I can say is it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, going into the game, you know, I was talking to my brother. I was texting with him. And he's like, "Yeah, Dame's point total is at thirty-six and a half." And I'm like, "Well, how, you can't bet the under. Like, that's a lot of points. But how could you bet the under?" And then he had forty-one at halftime. It's like, man, it already hit at halftime. Over. Like, 
I mean, the guy is playing the best he has he's ever played in his career. And I think that's one of those things where I didn't know that I would say that because he's had a couple really good stretches. Bubble Dame comes to mind. Um, the stretch where he had right after Kobe Bryant died and the Blazers beat the Lakers in that game. Like, that stretch, Dame was playing awesome. But, John, his last 20 games, he's averaging just under 39 points a game. His true shooting percentage is 70.9%, which is, I mean, unbelievable. He's shooting 40% on three-pointers averaging over 12 attempts a game like this guy is in a zone that like we've never seen in the NBA and I think it's just fun to watch this guy play night in and night out and he's proving like he's more than 100% back from that injury and he you know that surgery was much needed and maybe I think we we, we discounted how much that injury actually affected him these past couple of years so I think going forward like you know the Blazers aren't a contender this year they may not be a contender next season but I think this like it it elongates the career arc of Damian Lillard where I could say in three years, like this guy's still going to be really good. And I think the Blazers can still build for that. So it's just a fun to watch, man. And it, you know, I was watching with my son and he just like, man, he just, he can't miss. Like, and I'm like, yeah, he just doesn't miss anymore. It's, it was amazing. There were a couple of times where he pulled up and you could hear the gasp in the broadcast and, and, and the hush in the arena. But you're not surprised when it goes in, and he's pulling up from, like, you know, deep, deep, deep three. Like, I would tell my kid if my kid was taking that shot, come on, take a legitimate basketball shot. And, but you are watching Damian Lillard do it like it's a, a three-point basket. I got to know, Peter Sampson, what did you make of it? I want to hear from our listeners as well at 503-417-7575. Yeah, man, to quote my man Kevin Durant, that was a spiritual experience. And as a fan of basketball, <laughs> I mean, honestly, the NBA has been pretty hit and hit or miss this season. This weekend gave us so many good games and moments, and what a way to cap it. I've never, I mean, that's... I've never seen an individual performance like that. I guess I have. I watched Kobe get 81. But, I mean, Dame just willing the team. And, by the way, shout out to the terrible Blazers defense for allowing this to become a close game again. Because if they had not played horrible pick-and-roll defense in the second yes. half, the Blazers are up by 25 and Dame never has to come back in. He had to come back in. He was not gunning for this uh, this record. But being in yeah, the let's build- talk. Let's talk about that. Let's unpack that. Because yes. I want to ask you, like, what things had to fall in line in order for him to get 71. One, he's got to make shots. Two, he's got to be on a team where he's taking uh, a higher percentage of the shots. That, you know, Basically, I'm saying he's got the team's got to be bad around him. And three, they're playing against a team that's not very good, but the game, as you mentioned, ends up kind of being closer than expected, a little bit back and forth. What else is... What else yeah. is in play when a guy gets 71? Yeah, I mean, and part of it that helped this is uh, coming into the second half, the Rockets, man, they trapped him, they double-teamed him, they face-guarded him, and he didn't hunt. He he made the play, he would pass to his teammates, and here's where it matters. You have to have a bad enough team around you that this game stays close, but they have to be good enough that it's a better play defensively to try to just handle Damian Lillard one-on-one, because in the third quarter, he wasn't taking shots, and they were killing the Rockets, uh, just, you know, Matisse Thibel, Cam Reddish, other guys were getting looks. I mean, Drew Eubanks somehow was getting to the line. So it's one of those sort of conf- perfect confluences of events that allows Dame, you know, at the end of the day, he has to make those shots. He has to get those looks. But a lot of things got to go right, John. What and where does this rank for you as a fan watching this game in Blazer history, in state history, when we talk about individual performances? I want your phone calls. We'll talk to Sean Hyken, who was at the game 
on press row. He's coming up next, and we'll talk to him about sort of what what it was like inside the arena. But I want to hear from you. I had a lot of friends who were texting me going, are you seeing this? Are you watching this? Uh, other people saying, look, um, you know, Damian Lillard, terrific performance. It's great. It underscores, too, the idea that, you know, he's a great individual player. Uh, is he necessarily going to make this team around him better? No. I don't think it's good enough to contend, but I want your phone calls and I want your reaction to it as far as what you have seen uh, as a sports fan in person. Like, you know, I've been to five Olympics, so I've seen some stuff, right? I saw Galen Rupp win a medal in the men's 5,000 meters in London. I saw Usain Bolt run in a couple of Olympics and run faster than anybody's ever run. I watched Michael Phelps in the pool. I saw Phelps leave an Olympics with medals all around and Missy Franklin in the pool. It was fantastic. It was remarkable. That 71-point performance, yeah, it didn't come against the best basketball team in the world, but it was still a fantastic individual performance. And I kind of wondered, like the Blazers sent out their season ticket renewals this morning, guys, with a big bump up, uh, bigger than inflation increase. I'll talk about it later. I think uh, I think the Blazers are going to have a real hard time getting people to renew their season tickets, and it kind of makes me wonder what they're up to here. But I want your reaction when you saw that. 503-417-7575. Guys, do, do you can you what what comes to mind when you talk about 71 points? What other performances in our state history, or maybe just in general? You mentioned Kobe, Peter. Yeah, I mean, 06 against the uh, the Toronto Raptors, he took Jalen Rose to the woodshed over and over again, and the, the everything that surrounded that again, like he wasn't necessarily hunting. I mean, he kind of was, but it was a similar situation as Dame. Like you look at the roster that was around Kobe Bryant, it was him putting a bunch of. Uh, scrubs, I mean, I'll say it, the NBA players, but not particularly talented ones, and just willing them to that win. I mean, it's... What I really want to talk about, John, is the electricity. I was not at Moda last night, but when something like this happens, there's nothing that matches it in sports. Like, I was in the house when he set the Blazers franchise record the first time, when he had 59 uh, against Utah a few years back. And, I mean, literal goosebumps witnessing that and the energy that ebbs and flows. And every time he makes a pr- uh, the proper play and passes off, the air goes out of the arena. I mean, it, it's... It's why we keep coming back to sports is we might just maybe get to see something even close to what we got last night. And the thing about Dame is, is like me as a basketball fan, like I don't necessarily like when he takes the 35 footers. Like it's not, I, I know he makes them, but I don't think they're good shots, but like he keeps making them more and more often where it's like, all right, all right I can kind of deal with it now. Like he's, he's changing the game again. Like Steph Curry did this years ago where he changed the entire game of basketball. And now it's the game we see today. I think Dame is almost at that level where he's so good at those deep shots, he's changing the game in another level. Like, And I don't know how far it's going to go back. I don't know how far people are going to start shooting threes, but like, the guy is pulling up from two steps in front of half court and making them with hands in his face, and he's doing it night in and night out, and it's just stuff we haven't seen before. So like, it's amazing to watch. Like for me, it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't deter that they played the Rockets. It doesn't deter that the Blazers aren't going to be good this year. But like Peter said, there's like the electricity. There is a different level, though, I think, when it's a really good game. And I go back to like the best performances I ever saw. I never saw it in person, but when I saw it, Brandon Roy against the Mavericks in that fourth quarter that he had, like that's a different level because that's a playoff game against a really good team. 
where Dame did against the Rockets, who were one of the worst teams. So it's just a different level. But like, if you're just talking overall games, like this is one of the best in the state's history of of anything. Like this it's guy, just 71 yeah. points is mind blowing. I right, mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's it's not Wilt. Ch- it's not 100, but 71 points is just absolutely mind blowing. We got a great show today. Sean Hyken was in the arena at Moda Center. He joins us next. Later in the show, we will talk to the new president at Oregon State. I'll have some questions on the Pac-12 expansion, the Pac-12 media rights front. I don't know if she's going to be willing to go there and talk much about it, but I wanted you to get to know her. I want to talk with her. We have this interview that's been on the books for about a month. Also, uh, University of Portland baseball team uh, upset a top-five team a couple of times over the weekend. We'll get, we'll check in with them. We'll talk about what's going on with the Pac-12, and we'll have some fun. Plus, I want to know, what did Steven do for his birthday? We'll find out coming up. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, Sean Hyken was there. You can read him in the Rose Garden Report. He was there on press row. He is now joining us live via satellite. Probably didn't sleep when you went home. I got a text from you late, Sean. Uh, what was the adrenaline like? What was the feeling like in the building? Well, once it got, I think I think where it started to turn, John, is uh, about two and a half minutes left in the second quarter. He hit two free throws in order to get to thirty, and it's like, oh, cool, that's a thirty-point first half. He's done that before. And then in the next three possessions, he hits. You know, three straight three-pointers, including the one that kind of went viral, which was the last of the three, which we basically pulled up from like a foot past half court and just drained it. And uh, at that point, he had 39. And then, you know, at the, uh, like, I think it was like one second left in the uh, uh, second quarter, he hits a little runner. So now he has 41 for the half. And now we're kind of looking at each other, everybody, all of us <laughs> on press row, like, uh, okay, what, what's going on here? Like, because he already... Earlier this season, he had 60 against Utah, and that was one off of his career high of 61, and now it's like, oh, he's got 41 at the half. He could have a new career high in the third quarter, and and that's when it kind of started to turn. And at that point, it was like, uh, you know how sometimes when, like, you know, uh, the whole crowd knows that somebody is going off, and it's not even just, like, people go crazy when he hits a shot or they groan when he misses a shot. You could feel the air come out of the building when he passed the ball to anybody or anybody else took a <laughs> shot, regardless of whether it went in or not. Because, like, at that point, everybody was just kind of there to see one thing, which was for Dane to score as many points as possible. And then, obviously, it ended up with him scoring 71, which is not only a career high, but obviously a new franchise record and tied with Donovan Mitchell for the most points in a game this season. And Donovan Mitchell needed two overtimes to do it, unlike Dane. So it was a pretty incredible night to just be in the building for Let's talk about what has to go into, uh, what has to line up for a 71-point game. Uh, you know, the game being close enough that he's staying in the game. The Blazers defensively not being, uh, 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 you know, a staunch team defensively keeps Houston in this game. Houston itself being out there on the court. What else? What am I missing, Sean? Well, I think the thing that was the most impressive about this was, A, how efficient it was, and, B, he didn't really do much scoring wise like he he and he, he only had you know he he had 50 in the you know through three quarters which is an incredible thing to look at on paper 41 of those points came in the first half he only had uh nine points in the third quarter because 
they were just throwing two, three guys at him. They were, you know, throwing these weird zone defenses at him, basically trying to get him to not shoot. And he was kind of making them pay by finding guys open looks. I think the fact, like, you look at, like, other recent 70-point games, the one from uh, Devin Booker a couple of years ago, this was back before Phoenix got good when they were still terrible. They, that that game was like a joke. He got blown, you know, they got blown out by the Celtics. And, like, it was one of those situations where team, where, like, you know, his teammates were fouling the other team to get them the ball back faster so that they could, they, like, pad his point total. And then it was a game that they ended up losing by a lot. The fact that this wasn't one of those, the fact that this was, A, he just got 71 points in the flow of the game. And, yeah, there were some times when he was, like, he, everybody kind of knew he was, you know, what his point total was at. He's going forward a little bit, but he didn't just like come out firing, saying like, "Oh, I need to get this, as many points as possible." But it, like, that was one of the most like incredible parts about it. And I mean, to your point, John, the uh, fact that they, you know, blew a little bit—they they didn't fully blow the lead, but they were up by, I think, twenty-three was the most they were up by against Houston, who's the worst team in the NBA. And then, kind of in the third and fourth quarter, Houston chipped back away at it a little bit and got got it down to five and then Chauncey had to bring Dane back in and Dane was just like okay we're not we're not doing this Sean Hyken with us rosegardenreport.com you want to read his reports uh, had a fantastic story off the game uh it, you know it is Houston it's Sunday you know it's it, it's fans are kind of you know what was the the, the feeling in the arena in the run-up to the game uh was there any kind of anticipation or did it just sort of come out of left field well, for us, it came out of left field. For you know, I thought, like I was saying earlier, we when he hit those three straight threes to close out the second quarter, that that was when it kind of became, you know, it seemed like it was maybe going to become one of those you know those Dane nights that we're all kind of used to at this point. Dane told us something interesting after the game, though, which is that he and Joe Crone and the general manager were standing kind of at mid court before the game because they were going to honor Dane at half court for winning the three point competition at All Star Weekend last week and joe said something to dane about like oh this crowd is kind of crazy and dane tells joe well that's because they're anticipating something they they, they know a run is coming which i i thought i thought that was kind of funny that dane shared that with us and he's been very adamant that the blazers still have a run to make you know to, to get back into the playoff mix which uh, you know he's going to kind of be decided one way or the other over the next couple of weeks but I, I guess to Dane, like Dane, I, you know, from what he was saying, he felt like this was going to be a special night early on. But for us, I think it was more so like in the second quarter that we all kind of realized it. And then and then from then on, the, the whole crowd was just engaged and locked in and just wanting Dane to shoot it every single time he got the ball. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Sean, let me ask you about that question. You know, it was last week that we were talking, should they be tanking? Should they be going for it? Lillard tweets, you know, he's not interested in losing a bunch of games, but may not really be up to him in the end, although it was on Sunday night. Uh, what should this team do? What's the right play right now? I'll put it to you this way. Last season, they – Stripped everything down at the deadline. Dane was shut down with a surgery. They had multiple games where they were starting like Elijah Hughes and Kelvin Blevins and C.J. Ellaby and all these guys who are not NBA players. They engaged in one of the most blatant tank jobs I've ever seen in NBA history, basically post-trade deadline. And they went 2-19 and over their final 21 games of the season. And all of that resulted in them having the sixth-best lottery odds and moving back to seventh in the draft. So, like, 
you can you can say, oh, they need to just like tank and go for like they could they could go. They have twenty two games left. They could go zero and twenty two the rest of the way, and they still would not catch Houston, San Antonio, Detroit, Charlotte, the teams that have you know been doing this all year. So. Honestly, like to, to me, like I I understand in a vacuum why there are you know people talking about how oh you know they might miss the playoffs they're definitely not a contender they should just be trying to get the best lottery pick possible, but I you know as somebody who was around the team all of last year when that was what they were doing, that stuff is such a drain and like every everybody's so even even when it's by design and you know that you're doing it in order to get a high draft pick. That stuff is just so miserable to go through day to day for coaches, for players, even for media members covering it because there just becomes no point to these games. So I think it's very much within the realm of possibility that they end up missing the playoffs. As of right now, they're not in the play-in range. They're not in the top ten. But I think if they miss the – I mean, it, it would change. If Dane got hurt, then that you know that changes things. Because then at that point, yeah, you just sort of pivot and you do that. But if Dane is healthy – they're not going to be able to go to him and say, hey, let's make up an injury for you to shut you down. Like, he's not going to go for that, and I don't think it would be fair to ask him to go for that. So I think, you know, they'll they'll make the playoffs, they'll make the play-in, they won't. You know, whatever happens, I think they're just going to try to compete in every game and let the chips fall where they may. We're talking to Sean Hyken, Rose Garden Report. Lillard's uh, an interesting figure. I mean, his salary is, by NBA standards, he's paid like a mega superstar he eats up a lot of the cap space for this team. Uh, I don't think anyone would blame him if he ever raised his hand and said, I want out. But his timeline may not match, Sean, with what this organization is trying to do, or maybe it does. Do, you know, it's, At times I feel like they're trying to force it. What do you see? Is this a team that can win two years from now, a year from now, with Damian Lillard as part of it? Or is this a team at some point that's going to have to make a difficult decision with a guy who's making $60 million? It depends on what they do this summer, and I think Joe Cronin and his telegraph, I mean, really for most of the season, but especially since the trade deadline, this is something he laid out pretty explicitly at his post-trade deadline press conference, is that their idea this summer is that whichever one of the next, you know, whoever, like, I don't, I don't know, just, like, name a guy who might be, you know, on the trade market, uh, you know, as far as like a real needle-moving star, whoever the, whoever that may be this summer, whoever the next Kevin Durant is. Like, obviously they weren't in the mix for Kevin Durant because he only wanted to go to Phoenix and Brooklyn only negotiated with Phoenix. But the next guy, you know, of that caliber that's out there to be had by a team, they feel like, and, you know, you can land wherever you want to land on whether this you, you also feel this way, but they feel like, you know, between, you know, Anthony Simons, Shaden Sharp, all the draft picks that they have that they're, you know, they're going to have access to this summer. They feel like whoever that next guy is that's out there, they are going to be able to make a pretty competitive offer to try to bring in. And that's kind of the idea for what the, what they're trying to do as far as maximizing the rest of Dane's prime when he's still playing at this level. Whether that's successful or not, then, you know, we'll see. And if it ends up not being successful, then, you know, as you said, maybe they do have to make some sort of decision with Dane at some point. But as far as I know, that's kind of what they're going into this uh, offseason hoping to accomplish. Sean Hyken, Rose Garden Report. Sean, I appreciate you giving us your time. For people who want to read about the Blazers from a guy who's going to be there every night, you can read Sean Hyken. Sean, how do they find the Rose Garden Report? RoseGardenReport.com. That's pretty simple. Makes sense there. Uh, you got anything on tap for the next couple days that, that you want to tease? Uh, we'll see. I've got, I've got one feature that I'm hoping to get wrapped up in the next couple of days but then other than that you know their, their next home game is Wednesday against New Orleans so 
be there, have coverage from that, and then they go on a six-game road trip for a while. So I'm maybe going to do some kind of longer form stuff and some kind of you know more you know di- different kinds of stuff during that road trip. And then I think they're home for a lot of the rest of March. So just kind of getting ready for the stretch run of the season at this point. Larry on Twitter, by the way, Sean, says that the most entertaining thing for him was to hear people talking about how much closer Damian Lillard is to LeBron's all-time scoring record after last night. (laughs) I don't know if he's going to get to that, but that's pretty funny. He only needs, what, 22, 23 more 70-point games to close that gap a little bit. Sean, I appreciate you, man. Good to talk to you, John. There it is, Sean Hyken, Rose Garden Report. I want to leave you with one question. Steven and Peter, I'm going to put you on the spot with one question. Does Damian Lillard make players around him better? Yes. Yes. So this team, without Lillard on it, the sum of these parts would just implode. Yes, absolutely. There, like, I think Anthony Simons, you assume, you know, injuries aside, uh, you know, Simons would maybe have a couple more points. But ultimately... I mean, Dame Dame facilitates very well. Even though he's a combo guard, he's not a traditional point guard. I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap there. But it's the leadership. It's pulling guys together. And you can look at a lot of the pieces before they came to Portland and after they came to Portland, and they really did have success with Dame. I will say, I've made this argument with people. I do think there are trade packages where if you traded Dame, that the team may get a little better. But I think ultimately... Dame, Damian Lillard does make his teammates better because he can get them open shots. And I think a lot of it has to do when he's getting trapped at half court, like that's not on him to make the play. Like he's going to, yeah. he's going to make the right play and pass it to the open guy. Someone's got to make a play after that. And the Blazers have never done that. Well, the coaching staff has never coached it. Well, like I don't put that on Dame. That's got to be someone else to make a play and they get wide open shots and they don't make it. But I, but I do think to your point, there are some trade packages where you could say, okay, Anthony Simons, you're the lead guard now, and then you basically fill out the roster of really good players rather than one-star and solid players. I think it would be better, but I do think ultimately Dame makes it better. I always, when, I, when we get into the playoffs, I always, when somebody says, who's going to win this series, I always go, well, where's, who's the best player? And, you know, NBA executives have talked about that for years. Like, you know, you, you pick the team that's got the best player, the star, the biggest star. Lillard's a star, but I think it's going to be a shame if they, if the ceiling was, hey, they made a Western Conference Finals and with a real favorable matchup against Oklahoma City and and uh, and Denver, and uh, that was it. They didn't win any games, but they got there. That's to me, that's a shame. That's that's falling short. So I think Joe Cronin, whether you know, it's not really his fault. He was handcuffed here. He's handed this roster. He's got 18 to 24 months to figure this out before it starts to look like that's it. This is as good as it gets. Uh, I think Lillard's going to have some fun here in the next five to ten games though we've seen him go on these runs so look out leave it here you got the bft you've got the home of the truth back to the bald-faced truth with john canzano on 750 the game super excited about uh interview we have coming up at four o'clock jayathi morthy the New president at Oregon State has been on the job for uh, you know about uh, half a year now. Will be joining us at four o'clock. We'll talk about her mission, her upbringing, her story. I'll introduce you to her, and we'll talk about the Pac-12 conference. Does she have confidence that the Pac-12 is going to hold together? 
Um, you know, does she expect a deal here in the next couple of weeks? Is uh, Kirk Schultz, the president at Washington State, is pointed to? Um, and how is she working alongside Oregon's interim president? We'll talk to her about that. If you want to talk Damian Lillard, I'll take your phone calls at 503-417-7575. What would you do if you're Lillard? I think that there's a part of his story, obviously, that is rooted in, um, you know, rooted in being loyal, being different than the other star players in the league, and um, being uh, the big guy in a small market that's not going to leave and ask out. I just wonder from the franchise's standpoint at what point the franchise goes, hey, this isn't going to line up for us. You still have tremendous value. Should the Blazers be buying their future with Lillard at some point? And for people uh, who weren't listening off the top of the show, I thought it was really interesting, if not uh, suspect, that the Blazers sent out season ticket renewals this morning. Like, you know, this is a... The, the sales staff, the sponsorship staff, I get it. They need to uh, make hay while they can. If the Blazers were sitting in the top four seeds in the Western Conference, I have no doubt that they would be selling that. Maybe this is just coincidental, but I just thought it was really interesting and convenient <laughs> that he scored 71 on Sunday. And come Monday morning, a lot of my season ticket holder friends are going, hey, uh, why are they sending out the renewal package this morning? And, oh, by the way, it's got an increase uh, for many of the season ticket holders, the courtside season ticket holders in particular. The increase is substantial. It's uh, essentially they're paying, uh, they're, paying a, they're paying for Lillard's salary. Somebody's got to pay for it. It's not going to be Jody Allen. Jody Allen's not going to be like, you know what, I got this. You know, Paul made a lot of money over the years. Franchise, you know, we're eventually going to sell the franchise. Um, and so I don't think that that's the uh, overarching mission there. But there was a 9.2% increase, which is higher than inflation, at, for ticket holders. So, uh, by the way, Lillard's salary did not go up 9.2%, but the tickets went up 9.2%. Convenient, guys? But Suspect? Yeah, doesn't it just say everything you need to know about the Blazers organization, like where they actually think they are? Like, they know they can't compete, so they're going to grasp onto this 71 points for the rest of the season. Yeah. And I remember this, um, you know, being a, you know, just watching the Mariners, and I remember Hisashi Iwakuma threw a no-hitter, and they were putting that thing out there every single day because the Mariners were terrible. So I would not be surprised if they're just pumping out the 71 points all season long because, you know what, it was, it was a fun moment. Like, it was a really good moment and is by far the best moment of this season, especially with the non-playoff success I think is coming down the road. By the way, um, for people who are wondering, 9.2% increase for the Blazers is uh, a bigger increase than they've had in each of the last five years. So I don't know what they're doing here. Mike's in Portland. Mike, welcome to the program. What do you got? Hey, John, first of all, how can Damon Lillard be considered uh, making everybody around him better when he's only had one triple-double in his whole career? You, that means he's not distributing the ball. That means he's not making nobody better. Also, somebody had the audacity to say that he was transformative. In other words, he's changed the game. Damon Lillard hasn't changed the game. If you're talking about going through the three-point uh, line and just shooting up threes, I thought Steph Curry was doing all of that. When you're being 
changing the game. That's what Julius Irvin did when he came from the ABA to the NBA. I don't think you guys understand that. Julius Irvin is the reason they got the three-point line in the NBA. That's changing the game. Daryl Dawkins is the reason that the NBA have baskets that collapse. That's changing the game. Michael Jordan is the reason that the jerseys are long. That's changing the game. You know, I was watching Larry Bird play the other night, and I was hearing things that I never haven't heard in this generation. In other words, players don't foul out no more. You know why? Because they're not playing defense. Back in the day, they was fouling out. Back in the day, they had to stop the game and strategize. They don't do that no more. Basketball today sucks. And if they do have an increase, it's from the new generation that don't know no better. It's from the new generation that don't know what a complete basketball player looks like. So, you know, when I sit back and hear these people talking this off-the-wall stuff, John, they don't know what they're talking about, man. Well, I, I do think I do think part of I do think it's a fair just thing. One fair thing that I can pull out of that call is that the game today is different than even the game of the mid to late nineties. And evidence of that is that Lillard has more sixty point games than Michael Jordan. Like it's the games played differently. The scores were different in the nineties. The Knicks were trying to win games ugly. Uh, and people were getting knocked down, and all you had to do is watch the Last Dance documentary to watch how the Pistons and the Knicks uh, defended Michael Jordan. Like, you know, they wouldn't be allowed to touch him today. So I do think that there, there's an emphasis on scoring, and scoring is what uh, gets players contracts. Scoring is what brings viewers to the games. I understand why NBA Entertainment wants scoring. But um, it's the game that we have. It's, you know, like, you know, the, the NFL is different today than it was in the 90s. And I think Major League Baseball is going through some stuff right now in spring training that's very different. Tony's in Oregon City. Tony, go ahead. Hi, John. I, 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 I pretty, pretty much thought I would never, ever agree with Mike, but I agree with him 100%. I enjoyed basketball in the 70s and 80s much more because they were more physical and they fouled. And they played, and they played every game. Where today, hey, I'm going to take the day off, and I'm still going to make a million dollars today. But that's not why I called. I really called on on what Jody Allen, what you think Jody Allen might be thinking about in respect of when with the cost of Milwaukee's sale. You know, is she going to be obnoxious and say, yeah. "Oh, my team's worth two billion dollars"? Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think you're talking about the Phoenix Suns sale. It it reached a four billion dollar valuation, but I don't think the Blazers are worth that. But I also think that um, there's a lot of pressure internally. I've talked to people who um, know that the NBA is eager to get the Blazers into the hands of an owner that will care for them. I think Blazer fans are eager to see uh, the team in the hands of an owner that will. Love them and care for them. And look, you want to talk season ticket renewals? If Phil Knight owned the team and that news broke today, rather than Lillard scoring 71, those renewals would be flying. Like, if Blazer season tickets for next season, people would sign on because it, it's hope. I mean, people know that Phil Knight would go for it. So I do think that um, there's going to be, like I was told by a sitting team president in the NBA, I was told that... The Blazers should be sold to to Paul, or excuse me, to Phil Knight from Paul Allen's estate to Phil Knight. They should be. 
because the the approach should be holistic is the exact quote like it makes sense sell them to somebody who has ties to the state of Oregon somebody that you know is going to plant the franchise there for the foreseeable future and pave the way for its its future in the way that Phil Knight has for the Oregon University of Oregon and the Oregon Ducks uh, but I don't think Jody Allen thinks in those terms I don't think that Burt Cold the vice chairman of the team thinks in those terms at all and I think that he's going to want to win he's going to want to Prove to Jody that he could get more than the Phoenix Suns or the Milwaukee Bucks or whoever is worth. He's going to want to set a record. He's going to want to, uh, you know, puff out his chest and walk tall at the end of the sale. And I think that's partly the reason why they're playing some games here. I also think, like, it's, you know, I think if you put Adam Silver on truth serum right now, his wish would be for the Blazers to stay in Portland and for Phil Knight and Alan Smolinski to get their hands on the team, and then he wouldn't have to worry about it for the foreseeable future. But uh, I don't know if they're going to do that. I, I just don't know if they think in those in those terms. And w- when you do some research on Jody Allen, hell, man, between the sexual harassment lawsuit that her bodyguards filed and the you know the dinosaur bo- or excuse me the giraffe bones or whatever they were smuggling out of wherever they were, and it's just it's it's a lot of weirdness. It's a lot of first world billionaire problem uh, thinking and I don't know how to think like that and so all I can do is say hey you know what really makes sense what would really be a win is that uh, Alan Smolinski the Dodgers co-owner and Phil Knight the founder of Nike two highly successful people if you look at Smolinski's history made all his money in real estate he was a student at USC he noticed there was a shortage of housing at USC so he went huh I should buy a duplex right by campus that seems like a smart thing while I'm in school and then he went let me get another one and let me rent that one out and now let me buy an apartment building and he's now the largest landowner around USC uh, and he's become a billionaire and he owns part of the Dodgers and he's a smart guy is what I'm saying and so put that guy with Phil Knight and let them pay fair market value for the Blazers nobody's looking to get the Blazers cheap what's fair market value whatever Open it for bids. See what happens. Let Smolinski and Knight come in with their offer. But I think in the end, like, I just don't know if Jody Allen thinks that way. You know, it's not for sale. You know, the trust explicitly laid out that the Blazers were to be sold and the proceeds were supposed to be used to fund the passion projects of her brother. I don't know where she is on that. But uh, doesn't feel like it's going to help Damian Lillard's trajectory. Leave it here. Our big splash coming up. Then Oregon State's new president, top of the hour. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Pac-12 football media day will be held in Las Vegas this summer, late this summer. That is a uh, deviation from where the Pac-12 has held the event uh, they've been in Los Angeles uh, for some time, but with UCLA and USC leaving, Pac-12's going, you know what, we're going to Vegas. Uh, keep your eye on that. Is it a sign that the Pac-12 is interested in spending more time in Vegas? Is it a sign that they'll be cultivating more sponsors there, or is it just a nod to the Pac-12 uh, holding its championship uh, events in, uh, in that uh, region as well? You tell me. 
Uh, keep an eye on it. I'll ask uh, the university, uh, Oregon State University uh, president coming up at 4 o'clock uh, what she makes of all that, but uh, should be an uh, interesting conversation, fun conversation. I love talking. And by the way, the, the president of Oregon State, you know, my daughter goes to Oregon State. My daughter is one of these kids that is super involved. She had, like, when she saw Benny the Beaver, she was like, I would like to be Benny the Beaver. Like, Dad, should I try out to be the mascot? And I was like, no. Go be a college kid. Go enjoy the games. Hang over the railing. Have some fun. You know, uh, you know, have a drink. Like, really. That's the kind of kid I have. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, she's too responsible. She's more responsible than I am. But uh, she came. She told me she called me earlier this football season, and she says I, I met the new president at Oregon State. And I was like, I haven't met the president at Oregon State. She's like, Yeah, I just talked to her on the sideline at the game. Uh, really interesting. We'll talk to uh, the president at Oregon State coming up. Uh, I've got a big splash. It involves baseball. I'll hit that in a second. But let's take a phone call. Bo is in Oregon City. Bo, what's up? Oh, John, just want to go calling about that one guy calling about. Uh, the game is not like real basketball in the past where guys were tough and, you know, people were getting probably uh, beat up and broken bones and stuff like that. We've seen that in the past. With Damian Litter, I, I think he has a clutch way to uh, play basketball, just shooting the three-point, seeing what, what kind of defense, run between the guys. So instead of for getting hit, he goes around them. And I think that's the way the basketball should be played because – Safety is, is, is minded. We need to have safety in playing basketball, football, all these sports so that, you know, people are protected and people want to send their children and learn about basketball the right way, not injuring others. And we're respecting their style of play that gives them safety in mind, no concussions. Those are the things we want to see. And I, and that I like to see someone who is real tough in those old days Play now. Try to play by this rule that they have. Sure. You think Different. they'll be able to survive playing basketball now? They will not match up to Damian because of the fact that they'll be fouled out. They'll get technicals and won't be able to play. And I think the style we have now is safety oriented, and it's a protection for the people that the professionals that play now, yeah. and for the children that's going to be going up and wanting to play basketball, and the parents wanting the children to be playing in a right way that brings respect to the game rather yeah. than being like a bull. Well, you better believe, Bo, that uh, 10 or 15 years from now, Stephen, Peter, back me up on this, uh, 10 or 15 years from now, <laughs> the game will have changed again. And, you know, they'll be talking about this era like it was the good old days, and people will be calling into sports radio shows going, you know, back in uh, the Damian Lillard era and Kevin Durant's era, Steph Curry's era of basketball, those guys could really shoot. You know, it'll it'll change again. You yeah, know? It, it, it's all cyclical. I mean, you know, we took the call who said, you know, he, he liked it in the 70s and 80s. Well, in 1970, they averaged more points per game than they do today. It's it, We've gone through eras of uh, excessive defense. We've gone through eras of excessive scoring. We're just in that wave right now. It is real basketball. I have qualms with it like everyone does, but give me a break. It'll be the thing where we'll say Damian Lillard would have so many points in his career if there was a four-point shot. Because yes. that's what it's going to be. Like yeah. there'll be a four-point shot, and think of all the deep threes Dame makes. Well, he'd be the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. No, like it, it, you're right, John. Like it's it's so it's different, but it's going to be you know just basketball. And it's and I think it's okay to say like 
all the generational players, they could transfer to different eras. Like, people say Larry Bird wouldn't be good now because he wasn't that good oh, athlete. He'd be, good. he'd be great. He'd be Luka Doncic. Like, yeah. that's who he would be. Michael Jordan didn't shoot the three. Could he play in this in this generation? Yeah, yes. of course he could. He would figure it out. Dane could play in the 80s. He could play in the 90s. He could play in the 2040s. I, I think it's okay to say that. I think I think Michael Jordan would have become a good three-point shooter. I think yeah, I think he was focused on defense. I think he was focused on winning titles, and didn't need to shoot threes to win titles. And I think uh, I think that the game the game will always evolve. Football, we're watching football do it right now with the inability for anybody to hit the quarterback and all that. So it's you know it's just it's uh, really uh, I think it's it's going to be challenging for fans. And on that note, I want to bring. A change in Major League Baseball to your attention. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. Must be the Big Splash. Well, it happened today, bottom of the ninth in spring training. Boston and Atlanta tied six apiece. Bases loaded, full count. Dream scenario. Cal Conley at the plate. He didn't get set in the batter's box, though. There was eight seconds left on the pitch clock. Umpire rang him up. Automatic strike at bat over, inning over. Jeff Passan of ESPN tweeting, this is the new reality. I didn't love it, but it's good that this is happening early in spring training with new rules. The catcher, by the way, needs to be in the box behind home plate with nine seconds on the clock. He can be standing. He can be crouched. Uh, the hitter has got to be ready to hit. I don't love it. I uh, I think this is going to be a problem. And, you know, I think it's really going to divide fans, whether or not you love it, you hate it. I don't mind the umpire being in control of the pace of the game. I would love to see baseball give the authority to the umpire, pitch the ball, get in the box and hit, or I can call, you know, we can, we'll play without you. That has happened historically, but this pitch clock, is supposed to take 25 minutes off games. It uh, it uh, ended an inning today in spring training. Keep an eye on it. Coming up, we're going to talk to Oregon State's new president, or she's just the president. Jayuthi Morthy is going to be joining us. She came to Oregon State from UCLA. We'll talk about her mission, her leadership style, her parents, what she learned from her parents, and what kind of confidence she has that the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors are going to hold the Pac-12 conference together right now. I think they are. I'm being told they are. But we'll talk to a president coming up. Jayathi Murthy is next. BFFT. From the Pac-West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Well, Oregon State's got a new president, and, you know, we over the years have brought the presidents from Oregon State and Oregon and Washington and Washington State on this show. Jayuthi Morthy is the new president at Oregon State. She's been on the job for a little while. She's got her feet on the ground. She's got a little bit of momentum. But I want to talk to her about her experience at UCLA and other places she's worked, her upbringing. What did she get from mom and dad that set her up for success? Her confidence that this conference, from a sports perspective, is going to hold together. People may know the Pac-12 CEO group is comprised of the presidents and the chancellors of the now 10 remaining universities in the conference. 
Jayathi Morthy, the president at Oregon State, joining us now. Thank you so much for making time for us. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, John. It's wonderful to be on your show. Uh, I'm, of course, a big fan of yours, and I've been reading you and learning so much from everything that you've been talking about, so really happy to be Well, I got to tell you, like, my daughter goes to Oregon State, and she says to me during football season, she says, Dad, I met the president uh, at the football game. And, and so you're out, you're getting FaceTime with students. Why is that important to you? Well, I mean, this is a university, and students are absolutely front and center. Uh, the students matter to me a great deal, and, you know, I try really hard to connect. You know, when you're a president, it's easy to get disconnected. You're sitting upstairs, you know, sixth floor in our administration building. You don't run into students much. So I've been trying very hard to connect with them. Lots and lots of stuff going on. I mean, you know, we try to be creative. Uh, just a couple of months ago, we had uh, pie on the plaza, so serving pie up during midterms. And, you know, I've been a part of our honors book club, you know, reading books with them. It, you know, the thing that I really love about students is just their extraordinary honesty, all right, and a, a kind of purity. They see things very clearly and you know when you get into administration there's so much gray in my world right there's so many right. competing you know issues and things that you have to deal with and i just love that they bring that kind of really honest clarity to things you know they sort of sharpen everything for me and so having that connection with students has mattered to me a lot it just keeps my head really clear your dad was a civil engineer, and he worked on the railways. Your mom was a marine zoologist. I, I, I have to know what that household was like for you as a kid. Yeah, well, you know, it was an interesting household, I'll tell you, John, because this wasn't at all like other households that you know my other friends grew up in. Uh, my mom and dad were children of Indian independence from the Brits. Right? They were teenagers when... Uh, India became independent of the Brits. And, you know, the truth about that time was it was a time of enormous change and huge hope. I mean, all of these young folks were thinking about an independent India and all of that, you know, everything that that entailed. You know, and I'm absolutely persuaded that they, uh, you know, they, they were just completely far-seeing, right? They were well ahead of their time. And I think their uh, attitude was really formed by that particular time uh, in India's history. And so I grew up in a household that was really progressive. Uh, this wasn't common. You know, I, I've got two sisters. There were no boys in the family. Uh, and, uh, you know, having your parents support girls at that time and the education of girls was a huge big deal. Uh, and so my parents were progressive. You know, I wanted to be an engineer. I wanted to follow my dad. Uh, and they were supportive, uh, you know, and they were creative about the way they helped me out and gave me so many different chances. And I'll tell you, this is something that nobody else ever got. I had brilliant girlfriends in high school who never got the chance that I got. And so my parents were fine sending me off a thousand miles from home. I graduated high school at 15, so I was really young. Uh, sent me off 
to the Indian Institute of Technology in Kanpur. This is basically a, an engineering school. Um, I was one of two women in a class of 250, very, very young to be in that position. Uh, but, you know, they were brave enough and adventurous enough uh, that they let me do it. They, there, there must have been some confidence. You had to have had confidence, and your parents deserve a high five for that. And what was that like for you to be at IIT as one of only two women, and you look around, and you had to be, like, it was all around you that, hey, uh, this is, you were in kind of the mechanical engineering field. You were in a man's world at that time. Yeah, yeah. It uh, helps to not know what the future holds or even what the world's like. You know, I was 15 years old. I, was, I just turned 16 when I started at IIT. Uh, you know, I didn't know that uh, you couldn't be this or you couldn't do that, and that's really helpful, you know, just to sort of blunder right in and jump right in is a good thing. Um, so, yeah, you know, we were one of, uh, I was, what, one of a handful of women who had entered that institution as an undergraduate, as an engineer at that point. Um no infrastructure, right? Our dorm had been built maybe the year before. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, you know, Hidden Figures, where it wasn't even yeah. a restroom for women. Uh, that, yeah. that was my situation. Exactly that. You know, so there was one restroom on campus in the library because the librarians were women. And so, Do, were you, know, you worried about? To... Were you worried about being able to find a job after you graduated? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, you know, I was told over and over again that I could get a degree in engineering if I wanted, but nobody was going to give me a job. Uh, you know, it turned out that I actually, that wasn't actually true, you know. So I interviewed for jobs in India. I interviewed for three jobs, and I got all three of them. And, uh, you know, I'm surprised to this uh, that that happened, but it actually did happen. Uh, but they were, you know, my, my uh, the other woman in my class, uh, she ran into all kinds of trouble, you know, just getting interviews, just getting jobs, and other women did too. Uh, and I was just lucky. I just happened to get the right interviewers, and I got the right jobs. Jayathi Morthy is the president at Oregon State. Uh, she's joining us here. You know, you come to campus, and when you were hired, uh, I could hear the celebration from the engineering students on campus, but you're there to serve everybody. How do you balance that? When you come through the door at, you know, a very diverse, large campus that's got special ed teachers and athletes and engineering majors and agriculture, it's kind of all over the place. Oh, for sure, right? I mean, look, there's no question that, uh, you know, I know engineering and understand it deeply. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the easy part. Uh, but OSU is so many things. I mean, OSU is... Uh, you know, certainly engineering, uh, it's got earth and ocean and atmospheric sciences, it's got the College of Liberal Arts, uh, it's got pharmacy, it's got health, uh, and it's got a huge land-grant mission. I mean, you know, the thing that's really amazing about OSU is that it's got a footprint all across Oregon, and so there's a bunch of learning to be done. Uh, so I've been trying really hard to get out there, you know, certainly visit uh, all our experiment stations and, you know, all our extension uh, operations. Are designed, uh, you know, in fact, all the last quarter was actually visiting all our different colleges, you know, meeting faculty, students. 
You know, so it's not a simple thing, you know, to get a deep understanding of all of this diversity, but you got to put in the time because I'm not just the president of engineering, right? It's this whole huge institution. So you just got to work at least. That's really what it is. Your experience at UCLA and some other places, how much of your leadership style uh, is formed by all these places that you've been? Or maybe what did you pick up at UCLA that you find yourself using today? Gosh, you know, so UCLA is a state school, uh, and so is OSU. Um, and, you know, so there's a lot of the structure that's the same. Uh, and, and so OSU feels at some level quite familiar, though our land-grant mission is, of course, completely different. Um, what did I learn from UCLA? I, I think uh, the habits of excellence uh, I learned there, and that serves me well at OSU also. Um, UCLA is a big sports school, as you know, um, and that's another set of experiences that are really, really useful. And, and one thing that both UCLA and OSU share is the service mission. Right, and that's deeply important to me, the fact that you are embedded in your community. Now, of course, UCLA is embedded in a city, but it takes its uh, embedding really seriously. Uh, we are in a much more rural uh, location, but I take that mission seriously, right? The mission of service is really important to me, and that's a lesson at UCLA as well. The, the role of an athletics department, you know, and you're on a sports radio show across the state. And you've got a lot of people across the Pac-12 footprint who are streaming the show and tuned in. But how do you sort of see the role of the athletic department, and how does that fit into the community? Gosh, you know, of course, you know, not just the athletic department, right? I mean, I want to say how important athletics really is. Um, certainly in, you know, the student context, I mean, athletics is the pathway to developing leadership skills, team-building skills, self-confidence, you know, all of that. And that's critically, critically important for student-athletes and, you know, everybody who plays sports. Uh, there's no question that uh, athletics is the front door to the community. I mean, you know, the thing that really strikes me about Corvallis is how the entire town turns out every time we've got a you know home game. There's so much excitement around it, uh, and so it gives us, particularly as a land grant, uh, a big, big connection uh, to our community. And you know, I was thinking about it the other day, John. I mean, you know, what does athletics mean? What do sports mean? Uh, and even thinking back about you know my time in India. Now, of course, sports is very different, right? I mean, the right. U.S. Uh, and India, the sport's very different. In India, of course, the whole focus used to be on cricket, uh, and which we, you know, of course, don't play here. But I'll tell you, uh, when there was a cricket match, and, you know, cricket match is not a, you know, afternoon three-hour thing. It's a five-day event, you know, test cricket. And people are just riveted to their radios, and, and nobody talks about anything else. And it used to bring the entire country together, right? It's just this huge communal outpouring. And I see the same thing here. The minute we have a football game, we're all so focused on the Beavers. Uh, win or lose, we're behind them. Corvallis is behind them. The entire, you know, all of Beaver nations behind them. You know, and that's such an amazing uh, connection to have, right? And, and it kind of harks back, 
why, why do we have that connection? We have that connection because our undergraduate years are really precious to us. There's a lot of emotion behind that. And even as we graduate and on to careers and all of that, you know, that connection remains. And it's just captured by athletics and our, you know, desire for connection. This is a powerful, powerful emotion, right? Jayathi Morthy is the president at Oregon State, uh, joining us here on the program. Uh, we're watching all this expansion, all this realignment, and you know, behind it is this mission of higher education. And even UCLA, the school you came from, leaves for the Big Ten Conference, and there's so much money involved. How does how does a conference or how does a university stay with the mission of higher education amid all that pressure to find new revenue? to get on TV uh, as that sports world grows? No, good question, right? I mean, you know, we are a university. We're a public university. We're a nonprofit. Uh, and we have this intersection with uh, athletics and uh, the whole imprint of money on college athletics. That's, you know, that's always an issue. Uh, I try to focus on the student, on the student-athlete and their needs. And, you know, uh, money or no money, my focus is always on our educational mission and how we can serve our student-athletes. I mean, that that's at the heart of it. Uh, now, of course, uh, you know, you know and your audience knows that uh, there is money in football, there's some money in men's basketball, uh, but athletics is so much more than these two things. I mean, there's a whole big slew of, you know, Olympic sports, uh, and uh, for which there's not huge amounts of money, but which is all of which are deeply, deeply important to our students in developing them. So, uh, so my focus is really uh, on our educational mission uh, for all students, and particularly for student athletes. I mean, I try to keep my head really clear about things. I know that you sort of inherited this and you kind of walk in and all of a sudden, you know, UCLA and USC are leaving and now, you know, this is a part of your job to be on the CEO group and, and be involved in these decisions. Um, you know, what gives you confidence that the Pac-12 is going to hold together? Yeah, I, look, I know there was a whole lot of roil around this in June, uh, you know, when UCLA and USC announced they were leaving. And, you know, of course, the stuff would have it. I was at UCLA and I was making this transition. So, yeah, you know, so it was an interesting and concerning time. Uh, I'll tell you that that roil has largely settled, right? I mean, I, you know, uh, people say this and there's all kinds of discussion on, you know, the Internet and so on, but it is actually true. Uh, so we've had lots of discussions about, you know, what the needs of various schools are. Uh, we understand that we share geography. Uh, we understand we share culture. Uh, we understand we share a commitment to academics. So there's, you know, there's a backbone of connection that's holding us together. And, of course, we're keenly aware that, you know, the West Coast time zone has value you know it has monetary value um and 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 of course we want to be good to our student athletes we can't have them traveling you know crazily uh, as some of the folks in ucla and uh, usc are going to discover so there's lots of reasons for us to hold together and uh, the different members of the pac conference understand it 
uh, and increasingly my sense is that all this talk of people running off and you know joining the Big Ten or Big Twelve or whatever uh, is not is just talk. I, you know, I, I see a very different picture when I sit with the CEO group. Uh, it's a group that does want to work together and does value Pac-12 a great deal. You know, I have to ask you, President Murthy, that, you know, we saw Washington State's president come out in the statement that you guys jointly issued saying that you are committed and you are galvanized. Uh, you know, when that when that discussion happens, how important was that for you guys to come out and have a vote of confidence publicly? I think it was really important, all right? Uh, the, the reason really is that there's so much, you know, speculation. Obviously, you know, people are, you know, wanting to see a media deal, and, they, and of course, we've got, you know, Beaver Nation and these fans looking, uh, you know, for that to settle. And I, I understand that. Uh, but there's also been, you know, a lot of stirring of the pot. There's piles of speculation and misinformation around. Um, you know, and we all felt that we ought to... Tell even in tell Pac-12 uh, in the Pac-12 community how we felt about uh, the future of Pac-12, and you know the future is bright. There's so much here uh, that Pac-12 has to offer, uh, and we and we just wanted to convey that we are together on this. We've got confidence uh, about the future of Pac-12, and we know that things are going to be good. Will there be a deal? Do you expect a deal in March? President Schultz at Washington State said he expected something in March. I hope so. I mean, it would be wonderful if we could get it done, but I do know that, uh, you know, media negotiations are interesting and complex animals, so uh, I don't know that I've got a crystal ball and I can say that it's going to be March. It would be great if it were, if it were March, and, of course, uh, President Schultz is, you know, he knows his stuff. He knows his athletics. So happy to believe him. Growing up in India, if somebody would have came to you and said, uh, you know, you're going to be president of a university, Jayathi, you're going to have uh, discussions about, a, you know, the conference realignment and media negotiations, what would you have thought as, you know, a 15-year-old kid? Oh, my gosh. I, you know, I don't know that I knew there was any such thing as American <laughs> football. I don't know that I knew anything about conference realignment or any of that, right? completely a different world. Uh, but, you know, you know something else, John? Uh, that's changing. You know, I was in India recently, uh, you know, trying to sort of get people interested, students interested in coming to OSU. And American sports are such a big thing there. I mean, basketball is huge. So I had this young kid in a high school I was talking to stand up and say, hey, you know, if I came to OSU, can you get me into the NBA? And, you know, I, I wouldn't have known what the NBA was, you know, growing up, but that's changed completely. I mean, it's huge, huge stuff in India now. The, you know, the president at, at Oregon is an interim president, and you're fairly new. Uh, how does that work? Are you in contact with the interim president at Oregon? Do you guys talk, or is it just when you join the CEO group meetings, that's when everybody sort of comes together? Oh, no, no, we, we talk, you know, so we, we are both a part of the Oregon Council of Presidents, uh, and so there are, what, seven public universities plus OHSU uh, here in Oregon. We are a group that uh, gets together. In fact, I, 
I, well, I would have been in a meeting uh, last week except for the snowstorm, so I ended up zooming in. Uh, so we talk, we talk about uh, higher ed policy uh, in Oregon. Uh, we present a budget together, uh, you know, to the legislature. Um, you know, so, yeah, and, and so we communicate constantly. And, uh, you know, Interim President Patrick Phillips at UOVO and I talk. Uh, we have a lot in common because we are one of, we are only, there are only two Research One universities in Oregon, and we are it. And so we communicate all the time. It, it's, there, there are a lot of Pac-12 fans that are nervous. There's all sorts of misinformation out there. It feels like it's a political election sometimes when I'm reading all the various reports from different parts of the country. Why do you think we're getting all of that information from other parts of the country? Why, you know, it, it feels, this is new to me. A decade ago when the Pac-12 negotiated its last media deal, Nobody even knew it was being negotiated. Now this is all public. Yeah, you know, well, because of all the royal in college athletics, right? I mean, you know, there's uh, all all of these uh, different uh, conferences and uh, expansion and pulling on each other. Uh, money has, of course, become a big part of the mix, and so uh, money then drives the alignment. You know, you saw that with USC and UCLA. Uh, they're leaving, suddenly opened up the possibility of all of these conferences realigning. So, um, so there's lots of speculation. And, you know, and to some degree, there's, you know, deliberate uh, feints and misinformation. Um, not unexpected, but the intensity of it, I guess, is a little bit of a surprise. I, I love talking with you. love letting our listeners get to know you a little bit. And I'm sorry to hammer down on the media rights stuff, but I just want to ask you, you know, as you're, you're in those meetings and the statement comes out that you're all committed, we've seen reports that, hey, this school or that school might be thinking about leaving. You say that what you're seeing behind the scenes is very different. Are you seeing 10 presidents and chancellors who are saying, we're committed, we're in this, let's just get the right deal? Or are there some parties who are looking for something in the deal before they would agree to it? I mean, I feel we're all looking for, you know, a good, strong deal. Uh, and, you know, there's obviously, uh, you know, all the linear stuff, there's streaming, we're looking for a good mix of those things, and there'll be a healthy discussion uh, when we do get to uh, the actual media rights. Uh, there's, of course, been, you know, discussion about unequal shares, unequal maybe media rights or, or uh, the CFP or, you know, other in bold kinds of uh, monies. And we'll have those discussions. Uh, they're fair discussions to have. Uh, and, but nevertheless, I know that what sits underneath is a commitment uh, to Pac-12. I mean, we want to hang together. We find a lot of value to each other. And so we work out the things that need to be worked out. I appreciate your time. I hope you're having fun on campus. You, you probably, as a student, were very serious as an engineering student. And, you know, you were, you were young on a campus at 15, 16, 17 years old. But do you have fun being a president? Do you have fun in the job that you're doing or the stress that comes with it? Uh, does that override that? No, no, no. It's it's actually a lot of fun. You know, I, I, I know this is true for other people as well, but I really find 
learning to be fun and just sort of learning all of these different things that are there on campus and getting to all our, you know, stations all across Oregon. This has been a huge learning experience. And for me, that's a lot of fun. It brings a lot of energy to the job. So I'm just loving every minute of it and loving our athletics and, you know, just learning so much. President Jayathe Murthy, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I would uh, love to have you back on at another time and uh, after you get a media rights deal done, but thanks for letting us get to know you a little bit. Thank you so much. This has been lovely talking to you. Appreciate the time. There she is, the new president at Oregon State, Jayathi Morthy. There was some news in there. There was a little bit of news in there as she talked uh, around it and about it. And look, to be fair to her, uh, as she pointed out, she inherited this. She has not been part of the Pac-12 CEO group prior to the defection of UCLA and USC. So she doesn't remember the old guard. She wasn't one of the presidents or chancellors that hired Larry Scott, for example. The only two left in the room now, Michael Crow at Arizona State and, of course, Gene Block at UCLA. But he's not in on these discussions. So there are nine members who are going, okay, where do we go from here? Uh, I'm going to unpack this coming up, but... I thought the bigger, the prevailing thought was that, look, there's a lot of talk out there, but it's just talk. What she's seeing behind the scenes, very different. She also um, pointed out that there's been some discussion about unequal revenue sharing, uneven postseason distributions, but she said that uh, in the end, um, you know, there is focus with all these members. Those are fair discussions. Nevertheless, she said what... What is uh, happening behind the scenes is that there is a commitment that, that, that stands, I think, in alignment with everything that we have talked about in this show. I want to unpack it a little more, though, coming up. Uh, first, though, Stephen's going to give you an update here. We're at the bottom of the hour, and uh, we will uh, we'll catch up with you in just a second. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Love that interview. We get university presidents. Now we've had who? Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State. I want the new interim president at Oregon on the show. I'd love to go around the conference and get all 10 of the remaining presidents and chancellors on this show at some point. But I thought it was a, uh, first of all, credit to President Murthy at Oregon State for coming on the show amid a media rights negotiation where, you know, they're, they're kind of hunkered down. And I've had a lot of sources in the last six months talk about what's going on behind the scenes, many of them not for attribution. You'll see it reported as a source said, but I think it's rather refreshing to get uh, a president, now the second in two weeks, to go public with what is actually happening behind the scenes. Uh, One of the quotes that jumped out at me, just absolutely jumped out at me, was when she started talking about some of the noise that's out there. Big 12, Big 10, schools leaving here, schools leaving there. As she talked about uh, the reasons for the Pac-12 to hold together. Listen here. There's lots of reasons for us to hold together, and uh, the different members of the Pac-12 conference understand it. Uh, And increasingly my sense is that all this talk of people running off and, you know, joining the Big 10 or Big 12 or whatever – is not it's just talk you know I, I see a very different picture when i sit with the ceo group uh, it's a group that does want to work together and does value pac 12 a great deal 
there it is as she talks about that. What do you hear in there, Stephen? You know, because I look, I'm I might be too close to it. What do you hear when you hear her talking like that? I mean, it gives me a little confidence, right? Like, I, you know, I'm the one that comes on here, John. I'm always questioning, like, well, you know, the Pac-12 hasn't done anything. Like, we haven't heard anything. And from what she sounds like, it, you know, it sounds like they are more together than you know we are led to believe through the media and through the public. So, you know, for me. It's a little confidence boost that you know they're gonna make the right deal. They're gonna have a good deal involved. But um, again, it, it, it's for me. I need to see it before I believe it. But at least you know she's out there and she's saying you know you know there is value in being in the Pac-12 geographically, um, just being around each other. I, I and I think as a Pac-12 fan, that is nice to hear that you know someone is actually saying it that is involved in the Pac-12, right? Like she's, you know, president of Oregon State. She's saying there's value in the Pac-12. I think that's a good thing. And I think, too, like, look, I think she hit on something that maybe I haven't given enough consideration to, but she's talking about the discussions that are going on from behind the scenes and how there are, you know, like Oregon has a very different maybe motivation or desire in this negotiation than Washington State. And so Oregon can say, look, we're part of the, we want to be part of the college football postseason. We want to be part of the NCAA tournament on a regular basis. And Arizona's going, look, we get into the NCAA tournament more than everybody else in college basketball. Like, why should we have to share that equally? So she, t- she kind of spoke to some of the stuff that we have hinted around unequal revenue sharing, unequal sharing of postseason revenue. She called them, quote, unquote, fair discussions. And, but I think the overarching thing is the group's committed to a deal. We still need to see it to believe it. Uh, she seemed less optimistic than maybe her peer, uh, Kurt Schultz, the president at Washington State, when he talked about this deal getting done in March or mid-March. I think they have to get this deal done in the next couple of few weeks. There's just too much noise out there. It's not productive. There's some pressure, I think, on the CEO group. And wouldn't it be huge to get it done right before the NCAA tournament? Like, just to give, because, you know, the Pac 12 is not going to be represented much in the NCAA tournament. It's going to be UCLA and USC are going to be two of the three. Like, at least get some positivity going for the Pac 12. We'll talk more about this coming up. Steven, as I promised, he's got a news update. He'll do it now. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I know, I know, it's a sports radio show. What am I doing having a university president on the show? Well, these presidents and chancellors are at the center of all this discussion about media rights and the conference staying or going. Like, you know, I'm kicking myself for not looking at the moves that were made at USC with uh, Carolyn Folt and the UCLA bringing in Martin Jarmond, uh, whose background is at Ohio State, and Mike Bone, the athletic director at USC, saying, you know, this is going to be a new era of college athletics when they hired Lincoln Riley. And, you know, all of the tea leaves were pointing, now that we know UCLA and USC were not happy, we're pointing in the direction of them possibly leaving the conference, Pac-12 should have seen this. George Kuyavkov, when he came in on the job, he should have he should have anticipated that USC and UCLA maybe needed a little attention. I don't know if it would have mattered. You know, I've been told by people in that inner circle that uh, USC and UCLA, what, what are you going to do when they say to your face, hey, we're committed to the conference, and then and then they take off. But there's been a lot of discussion about this media rights deal. 
It, there's been talk about whether or not they should go to a streaming service, a linear service. Um, but, but it was interesting to hear a university president who's fairly new on the job, fairly new to the world of college athletics, talk about what's important to her and what's important to her campus. She talked about the whole imprint of money on college athletics being a, uh, you know, being a, uh, uh, an issue that, you know, you've got a public university, which is a nonprofit and has a higher education mission, and then you have the whole imprint of money on college athletics. It's an issue because those things are not congruent. Those things don't line up. Uh, there is a, uh, a definite, uh, there's a definite conf conflicting, uh, you know, agendas, so to speak. Hey, these athletic departments can make a whole bunch of money if you go full throttle in this direction. But wait a minute, your mission's higher education. So you shouldn't go full throttle in this direction. She talked about the Olympic sports. She talked about basketball and football um, being, um, you know, being part of this. But she also talked about the Olympic sports and the mission that goes on behind, behind the scenes when it comes to the Olympic sports. So I think it's really interesting to get that context and that perspective. But... In the end, lots of reasons for this conference to hold together, and I think this conference will hold together, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of deal they can get. She did touch on linear um, versus uh, versus streaming service services, and it sounded like that is a serious discussion that is going on behind the scenes, that you know, it is still a discussion that is ongoing, the balance of linear versus streaming. Uh, are these presidents and chancellors negotiating publicly now? Because you saw Kirk Schultz come out a week ago and, and talk about the media deal. Now, in the news, you're seeing some of the sports media reporters who, who are well-connected at the streaming services like Apple and Amazon and certainly connected at ESPN talking about the possibility of the Pac-12 going all-in with a streamer. I think these things are still in play right now, and the sense that I got from uh, the president at Oregon State is that that you know it, yeah it would be nice to get a deal in March, but she wasn't selling it as hard as Kirk Schultz at Washington State was in his conversation with John Wilner uh, of the San Jose Mercury News. I thought that was really interesting. So you know I think the conference has to get this behind it as soon as possible, but you have to balance that with wanting to get the best possible deal, right? So. You know, maybe the best possible deal is one that it has to wait a couple of few weeks for. But, you know, part of me is just eager to get it done because I'm sick of dealing with it. And I'm sure a lot of other people are as well. Uh, should we break here, Stephen? Do I owe you one more? Uh, I, think I, yeah, I think you're good for a couple minutes if you want to go. Good for a couple minutes? All right. So, but here's the other thing. Like, I just find it interesting that, you know, you've got a university pres another university president going public. And I know that. You know, there were people across the Pac-12 footprint and certainly probably in other areas that are talking and thinking about what she said and what it means. We'll unpack it with a couple of her clips. We'll talk to a baseball coach who has pulled off a couple of key upsets. Plus, uh, I have the 5 at 5 coming up on the top of the hour. You got the bald face truth statewide. I want you to leave it right here. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
I want to unpack a little bit of this uh, meteorite stuff. And I promise when the Pac-12 gets a deal, we'll start talking about the football again. Media Day, in case you're just tuning in, is now set for uh, July 21st in Las Vegas. Pac-12 Football Media Day. We will be on the scene. We will bring you all the interviews, as we always do. Uh, It is a change from the customary Los Angeles location to uh, Las Vegas. Not a big surprise. I think it was moving in this direction anyway. But the defection of USC and UCLA to the Big Ten certainly, I think, cemented that. Oregon State President... uh, uh, joined us on the show. Jayathi Morthy is the new president at Oregon State. He's got a background in engineering, grew up in India. Fantastic story. Like, as a dad of three daughters, I was riveted to the part of the conversation where she was talking about growing up in a household with three girls, with a dad who's a civil engineer and a mother who has a background in, in marine zoology, and the confidence that those parents instilled, instilled in their kids. Like, wow. Like, for her to go off at the age of 15, graduate high school, and go to the India Institute of Technology is one of only two women in a class of 250 and have the confidence to do that? That's parenting, man. Like somebody did right by those kids in that household. Mom and dad. Fist bump. You know, I I think there's no other way to say that. But she also talked about the things that we all want to know about. And if you're an Oregon fan, pay attention to this. Oregon Ducks probably looking for a little more money in their media rights deal. Probably looking for an unequal sharing of revenue or maybe an unequal sharing of postseason revenue. Here was uh, the Oregon State president talking about kind of the discussions that are going on behind the scenes in the Pac-12. I mean, actually, we're all looking for, you know, a good, strong deal. Uh, And, you know, there's obviously, you know, all the linear stuff, there's streaming, we're looking for a good mix of those things, and there'll be a healthy discussion uh, when we do get to uh, the actual media rights, uh, there's of course been you know discussion about unequal shares, unequal maybe media rights or or uh, the CFP or you know other in bold kinds of uh, monies, and we have those discussions. Uh, they're fair discussions to have, uh, and but nevertheless, I know that what sits underneath is a commitment uh, to Pac-12. I mean, we want to hang together. We find a lot of value in to each other, and so we work out the things that need to be worked out. I think it's an interesting discussion. Apparent, uh, you know, in particular, the last part of that discussion. I want to get to that last part again because I think she said two different things there. First of all, they're looking for a good, strong deal. There's obviously all the linear stuff, the streaming. We're looking for a mix of those things. That's interesting to me. It they don't appear to be going all in. Also, listen to this. Unequal shares, unequal media rights, unequal shares of the playoff money. Maybe media rights or, or uh, the CFP or you know, other in bold kinds of uh, monies. And we'll have those discussions. Uh, they're fair discussions to have. Uh, and, but nevertheless, I know that what sits underneath is a commitment uh, to Pac-12. I mean, we want to hang together. We find a lot of value to each other. And so we work out the things that need to be worked out. Underneath, a there's a commitment to the Pac-12. Uh, and But nevertheless, I know that what sits underneath is a commitment uh, to Pac-12. I mean, we want to hang together. We find a lot of value to each other. And so we work out the things that need to be worked out. There it is. 
Stephen, Peter, what are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, it seems like the you know, it seems like there's been talks behind the scenes, right? Like, and I think for me, like the Big Twelve has been so out in the public and saying what they want to do and bringing things in, bringing teams in. The Pac-12 has stayed quiet, but it sounds like you know, according to her, they're, they're having conversations all the time and how valuable that each university can be to the Pac-12, and that it seems like most are on board, right? Like we we heard last week. You know, we, we played that clip of Softy talking about, you know, if UW or Oregon were offered the Big Ten, they'd leave right now. Well, I don't know, man. Like, it seems like they're pretty uh, pretty standing pat with one another, and they like where they are in the Pac-12. Whether it's the Pac-10 or the Pac-12, they bring in some new teams. It seems like it's a stronger unity than we've been led to believe so far, which, you know, for me as a Pac-12 fan, like, I'm happy about that. Yeah, but led to believe by who is the question? Because that noise, I feel like, look, this is just me talking here. I feel like the noise out there, that, that propaganda battle that has happened out there, that the Pac-12 is clearly lost. Because everybody I talk to comes up to me and goes, oh, the Pac-12 is, you know, imminently breaking up, its demise, you know, all this stuff. The Pac- What I think the conference really went wrong is they have let other people with other interests tell their story instead of doing more interviews like this. Like, listen, again, listen to this. I mean, the conviction here. And we have those discussions. Uh, they're fair discussions have. Uh, and But nevertheless, I know that what sits underneath is a commitment uh, to Pac-12. I mean, we want to hang together. We find a lot of value in, to each other. And so we work out the things that need to be worked out. I mean, it, shouldn't they have been saying this stuff a while ago? They should have. And, you know, I said this last week, too. Like, I tried to find positive Pac-12 video clips for Punch-It. I can't do it. It's impossible. It's all negative, like, oh, these teams are leaving, these teams are leaving. And, like, it's fine to get all those, but then at, one, at some point, like, if you're just a college football fan and you're on the East Coast or you're in the SEC and you're trying to just watch YouTube and try to see what the Pac-12 is up to, you can't figure it out. And it's impossible. So I'm with you. Like, this type of interview is so good, I think, for the conference that it just brings some positivity and just the fact that they are strong together. Like, I think that's the fear is – since USC and UCLA left unannounced, nobody thought it was happening. Like that could happen to any other team. I, I don't think it's going to happen anymore. And I, you know, I don't think I didn't think it before, but now it was just people talking about it. It just seems like it's not going to be that way. So I, I, it is a positive direction um, after this little interview you had here. Yeah. Look, I look. I've been saying this stuff for months and months and months, and I, I think our listeners, and I know my readers know that my message has never wavered. But I also think. It's really difficult for people when they are inundated, like uh, highly educated, smart, intelligent, worldly people. Like literally as as I'm doing the interview with the president, I'm getting text messages from people going, what is she saying? Is the conference breaking up? And I'm like, where are you getting that? And the truth is they're getting it from the ministers of misinformation that are out there working, you know, with consulting firms that have – you know, they got a dog in the fight. These, some of these consulting firms are working for the Big 12, and they're working for the Big 10, and they're working for the media partners. And I think there's a real motivation to beat up the Pac-12 right now in order to soften it up for maybe it's just the brand of the Pac-12 that they'd like to affect. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. And there's, but, a, lot of, there's a lot of national writers, too, that are putting out yes. a lot of pieces, too. And so it's like, again, like if you're just a casual cultural fan, you're not in it. You're not listening yeah. to your show every single day, John. Like, right. you think the Pac-12 is demolished. And the truth is the Pac-12 is going to get a deal. The 10 remaining universities are going to stick together. They're going to look at expansion. I thought she said something really interesting about geography. 
how there was a real commitment to the geography of the conference in the West Coast time zones. Like we've had lots of discussions about the needs. We understand that we share geography. We share culture. We share a culture of academics. The West Coast time zone has value. Um, I think she's basically you know, mirroring back what she's hearing internally in these meetings. Because you have to know she's new to this. This is... This was not her job. She wasn't the president at UCLA. She was the head of a department. She was running engineering. She was on this path to a presidency. But now she finds herself in the middle of this stuff. And I think it's really interesting as we unpack it on this show. we got the 5 at 5 coming up at the top of the hour. You'll hear more on this front, I am sure. But really interesting conversation with Oregon State's president, Giathe Murthy who uh, joined us for a one-on-one today. Fantastic stuff. Leave it here. you got the Bald Face Truth statewide here on the BFT Radio Network. we got the happy hour still ahead. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. We've got the 5 at 5 coming up for you, top of the hour here, of course. It is uh, the happy hour. Anna's not here, but Steven's here. Steven, how was your birthday, man? Happy birthday. You took a day off Friday. I did, yeah. It was uh, it was good. I uh, you know, I didn't really have any plans, but it turned out to be an adventurous day uh, with me and the kids because my wife was working from home because of the weather situation. And mm. like we talked about, you know, she had to do some uh, distance learning, so... Uh, Stephen was kind of in charge of the kids there, but uh, we made it. We made it happen, dude. Uh, on Friday, we were we were conflicted on whether or not to um, whether or not to call you. We thought it might be a violation since you took the day off. As as Peter pointed out, you didn't want to see us. That's true. So Got why would we? <laughs> it would be bad form to call you. It, what would you have done? I mean, I would have answered it. I would have been nice. Um, I would have, you know. I'm I'm not against it, but yeah, I mean it wouldn't have been my favorite thing for sure. Like I, I I'm with Peter. Like I'm I'm thankful that Peter kind of knows me at this point. Like hey, just, just let him be for a second. Let him be for let him be for a day. But uh, I mean I was out about in the car, so I would have been fine talking on the car until I arrived at my destinations to talk to you guys. And then you would have been like, I gotta go. I'm more important than you, and it's my birthday. Damn it. Yeah. No. What exactly. Did, what did you do? What else did you do? Did you celebrate? Yeah, so we uh, so on Friday, like I said, we were driving around. My wife sent me this video on Instagram, John, because, like I said, she was distance learning. She needed the kids out of the house and to be quiet. So she sent me this Instagram video maybe like a day or two before my birthday. It was this video of how you can get a bunch of free stuff on your birthday from, like, you know, companies and businesses and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then she's like, yeah, did you watch that video? Did you figure out where you're going to go to get all this free stuff? And I'm like, no. And she's like, well, you need to come up with a game plan because you need to get out of the house. So, you know, I went around. I got a free coffee. I got some free donuts for my birthday, all by you know signing up for the apps. Uh, I got a free sandwich. So me and the kids went around and did that on my actual birthday. And then uh, on Saturday, uh, my wife and my wife's sister and her husband, we all went up to uh, the casino. And we just uh, nice. yeah, yeah, hung out up there. I won a couple dollars, and then my wife lost a couple dollars. So I uh, ended up you know having a nice day, nice dinner. It was a good time. I like that. Uh, I like that you uh, just took the day off for yourself. Like more people should do that. Like why? I don't know why more people don't do that. Just take take their actual birthday 
as a day off because I think a lot of people just go into work. Now, I'm not the kind of person – I don't like people to know my birthday. You announced it to me. Like, you let me know it was your birthday. Why was that so important for you? Did I do you that know? off the air or something? Yeah, you did, did off the air. You told me, hey, uh, it's my birthday. And I was a little surprised that you had said that because I didn't take you to be a guy that was going to, like, put on a tiara and be, that says it's my birthday and parade around the office. But you didn't show up to the office. I you def- just did that at home. I'm definitely not. I think I think just thinking about it, I probably just thought, well, you know, I haven't really missed a day. Maybe one day since I've been here, you know, since, like, June when I've been hired on. So I think I, I just wanted to let you know, like, I'm not just, like, skipping out on a day of work like I have a reason for doing it. I think that was probably my reason, because I'm definitely not that guy that I, I don't want people to know. Me yeah. yeah, you don't seem like you're that guy, so I'll give you the benefit of the doubt on that well, one. Thank you. Peter, you. Peter, your instinct was right, so good for you. Yeah, hey, man, L- like I said, if he just didn't show up, it makes sense to call and be like, bro, where the hell are you? But again, he had to get on an app, he had to fill stuff out, he had to get it approved, all so we wouldn't talk to him. There you go. Uh, I want to play a little bit of the Oregon State president, but I'm going to do it as part of the 5 at 5. Five biggest things going on in sports today. Let's start with Oregon State's president. The Five at Five. Oregon State's sitting president joined us uh, for about a 25-minute conversation. Jayathi Morthy is the new president at Oregon State. Graduated high school at 15. One of only two women in her class of 250 at her engineering college in India. Think about that. Uh, Ends up as one of the key decision makers in the Pac-12's fate when it comes to Pac-12 media rights, expansion, realignment. Uh, Morthy talked about the mission of the university, but she also talked about the misinformation that's out there. So there's lots of reasons for us to hold together, and uh, the different members of the Pac-12 conference understand it. Uh, and increasingly my sense is that all the talk of people running off and, you know, joining the Big Ten or Big 12 or whatever uh, is not, it's just talk. I, you know, I, I see a very different picture when I sit with the CEO group. Uh, it's a group that does want to work together and does value Pac-12 a great deal. That was President Morthy talking about the Pac-12's future. Did you feel better or worse about the Pac-12's future after hearing from her? Uh, better, for sure. Because uh, at least there was, like, positivity coming out of somebody's mouth that's in the Pac-12. <laughs> like, I, I haven't heard anything positive, right? Like, there's yep. never news on the media rights deal. It's always just doom, doom, doom. So to hear actually something made it feel, uh, made me feel good about it. Made you feel a little better. Uh, Damian Lillard is number two in our five at five. Sorry, Dame. Uh, He scored 71 last night in a winning effort against the Houston Rockets. Chauncey Billups had the best seat in the house. Here's Lillard's coach. To be honest, the biggest thing for me was, I mean, first of all, having 41 at the half was insane. And then we come out in the second half, and in the third quarter, he just made every right play. They started firing on him at half court. He didn't shoot his first shot until, like, I think 8.41 on the clock. And then his second shot, like 720 or something, he just wasn't forcing at all. He understood what they were going to come out and do. And that takes some incredible, like, discipline to know, like, all right, I'm not going to force it. I know I can get my career high, but I'm going to just fall back. And that was just, that was so impressive to me. Um, 
Uh, we, we, we don't get the chance to experience things like this a lot. I've been around the league a long, long time. And uh, 71 and how efficient he was. I mean, that is just incredible, man. Incredible 71-point effort from Lillard. Blazers win. Are they tanking? Not if you, uh, not if you paid attention last night. Number three in our five at five, the Red Sox-Braves game in spring training ended on a batter clock violation, tied six apiece, bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases loaded, full count. Could have up easily. Uh-oh. And now what? He's out. They have called strike three. Wow! This is mayhem! Oh! Automatic strike three called with the bases loaded in a tie game in the bottom of the ninth. This is baseball in 2023. Oh, the two-strike strikeout. That's it. Two outs at the bottom of the ninth. There it is. Two outs, bottom of the ninth. It's going to take some getting used to. 25 to 30 minutes. Games are going to be shorter. But, man, I hated that. Doesn't feel like baseball. I'm glad it's spring training. I'm glad they're figuring that out. Is it really going to affect the the casual baseball fan to watch a game if it's cut by a half hour, like I don't see like someone that doesn't watch baseball, like you know what, it's a half hour short. I'm gonna I'm gonna lock in for the whole game. I don't think it matters. Like I don't understand what they're doing. Yeah, I I think they're trying to make the game more appealing to younger fans and get it going. It, that the criticism, the biggest criticism of the game is that it takes too long, uh, and that the games are too slow and they're boring and young people don't like it. So, um, I think if you're a baseball fan. As long as that kind of stuff isn't happening in the regular season, I think we're going to be okay with it. But I didn't like it. I don't like seeing that. I just, I, I, to me, that inning ending on a, hey, you weren't ready to hit, you're out, instead of somebody actually getting to swing the bat, is uh, that's not what baseball is. didn't feel like baseball. In the Pac-12 conference, moving on. Our number four story, Arizona State upset Arizona, number seven Arizona over the weekend. Buzzer beater, 89-88. Here's how it sounded. Just watch out for the baseball pass if you're Arizona. Follow makes it, two-point lead, three seconds left. No timeouts. Neal inbounds, Desmond Cambridge. Sun Devils with a big win. How about some credit for Bobby Hurley, who has been ridiculously good in close games in the last couple of few years. I believe Arizona State is now 10-3 and in games decided by six points or fewer. Uh, credit to Bobby Hurley, who kicked his best player off the team at the beginning of the season, two games into the season, and suddenly finds himself uh, with a with a net ranking of 59, kind of on the outside of the bubble, maybe on the bubble. Could he get into the Pac-12 tournament, win a couple games, and get into the NCAA tournament? Credit to Arizona State on that front. Got to uh, got to have some love for them after that. Finally, the fifth thing in our 5-at-5, five five, can we give some love to the University of Portland baseball team? That baseball team got it done over the weekend. You talk about upsets. Arizona's upset was was uh, something else. But you talk about upsets in the early part of the season when it comes to 
uh, baseball in our region, we often talk about Oregon State baseball, or we talk about Oregon baseball. But how about the pilots of the University of Portland? They were playing at number five Texas A&M Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three-game series. They took two out of three from the Aggies. Upset number five Texas A&M and have a really solid weekend. They'll play uh, coming up uh, this week on Wednesday at home at Joe Etzel Field against Seattle. And then they will play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Same place against Utah Valley, doubleheader Saturday, if you want to check out the Pilots. Plus, we'll be visiting with the Pilots coach later in the program. Jeff Loomis will be joining us coming up in about 20 minutes. That's the 5 at 5, five biggest stories going on. Uh, did I get the order right that Jeffy Murthy coming on the show talking about what she talked about? You know, there's money in football, there's money in basketball, uh, but athletics is more than these two things. Like, it sounds to me like the university presidents of the Pac-12 are a little different than the Big Ten. I thought that's fresher than Lillard 71, given that it happened yesterday. We're almost like 24 hours away from it. Did I get that right, or am I disrespecting Dame? Um, I don't think you're disrespecting Damon. It, it, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, yeah, the new cycles should have been recycled at this point. So I don't think you're wrong for putting it in number two, but I do think you're correct to have it in there and uh, receiving top votes. But I, I don't. I think you're wrong. It's number two on the outside looking in. Peter, yeah. go. Uh, yeah, it would still be one for me, but I'll be honest, there's a whole bunch of we're getting into the weeds and behind the scenes in radio, and yeah. is there other local presence here that covered it, and that's not relevant to this show, so right. I, I, in a macro view, I would say no, but I, I get it, totally. Yeah, I, to me, it was the timing of it. Like, if Lillard 71 had happened four hours ago, it's the biggest story. ESPN had it as lead story. That's It was a big deal. Um, and, and I thought, you know, I feel like sometimes when I come on air by 3 o'clock the next day, it's been talked about a little bit. So I work often to find a different angle, best performance that you've seen, you know, not really trying to unpack the specific performance given that I feel like people went to sleep with it yesterday, woke up with it today, read about it, talked about it at work, and they're getting to me at 3 o'clock. I feel like I, you know, I don't know. I could be wrong. Uh, coming up, uh, we will play Punch It Audio, and we will visit with the baseball coach at the University of Portland. Keep it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. You guys think Damian Lillard's going to go on one of these streaks where he goes 50-burger, 50-burger? Like, what are you guys expecting here? He kind of felt to me like he's got one of these little runs in him. He, do, he kind of goes on these runs like you, like Steven goes on when he's playing blackjack at the casino. That's true. I did, I did have one of those runs uh, on Saturday, but he kind of already is, John. Like, the last 20 games, he's just under uh, – 40 points a game like he has been unbelievable 38.9 points per game true shooting percentage is almost 71 percent like he's kind of on one of these stretches right now it's more of like how long can he do it for the rest of the season right can he do it for the last 20 games and push the blazers to the play-in that that's the question i have for him i don't know what peter feels about that but like this i i talked to peter before the before the show 
this is probably the best I've ever seen Damian Lillard play. Yes. And it's it's pretty wild to think he's had these great stretches, but this might be the best it's ever been. Yeah, I think uh, talking those peak moments, like he's definitely been in one of those zones, probably the best one, I agree. But don't be surprised. I mean, next game at Golden State, he's always good in the Bay, you know, kind of his hometown. But th- the other thing, coming off the All-Star break, everyone's kind of counting Portland out. And you know he's going to he's gonna kind of take that to a further th- degree than is the truth in his mind. You know, everyone's against us. Every yep. athlete does that. Every single athlete. But he does that to the nth degree well here it is it's the time to do that like you know i'm sure he's getting in guys ears we got if we want to have a chance and even get to the playoffs we got to go on a run it starts with him i know he's looking around at the talent looking around at a couple starters in street close and he's going man it falls on me so i think john yeah don't be surprised uh tomorrow night at golden state you see 45 or 50 again do you think it's going to be lillard against clay thompson uh t- tomorrow night who scores more points lillard yeah dame, dame's gotta at this point you sure i got a lot of warriors fans in my ear going it's gonna be clay's night we'll see yeah what happens there like, just, the clay War- only got 42 on the rockets dave got 71 <laughs> the warriors just have too many it's options. a half they got options right they got jordan Poole who's gonna take the ball i just don't know who's really gonna command the ball away from damian lillard like I do think that the Warriors are going to throw some things out there to really try to get the ball out of Dame's hands. But Dame knows he has to score about 40 to win. In that 20-game stretch, I just said, John, the Blazers are 10-10. and He's averaging 40 a game, and they're 10-10 and on on that 20-game stretch. Like, Dame knows he has to put up these numbers to win. I I think he scores more than Clay. I uh, think that will be an interesting proposition. How many points? Would you give the clay people if is it clay plus nine and a half clay plus ten and a half at what point would you bet on clay i yeah if you gave me double digits with clay, I would take that yeah. um I think anything under i think nine and a half is about right honestly nine and a half eight and a half would be the right number, and if you gave me ten, I would take clay in that situation there you have it let's play a little punch at audio. <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Oregon and Oregon State played in a basketball game over the weekend. It was a nail-biter. Beavers with a chance to win at the end. Ducks with a chance to win at the end. In the end, it was Rivaldo Soares with a couple of clutch baskets and five big points in the last 44 seconds. Here's the final call. Punch it. Damnation has got to come alive here. Al Gill is standing. The three for the top. And Rivaldo Soares answers. 44 seconds. Richardson. No, it's going to be Rivaldo Soares for the win. Got it! Oregon, three-tenths. Two consecutive shots by Rivaldo Soares. The second. I think the Beavers got a break there. Again. And there it the goes to retire. Oh, that's it. They had Oregon. It. Look at Perrier celebrating. And the few Duck fans here in attendance at Guild Coliseum. Oh, Nate, the Wayne Tinkle is irate. There it was. There was your final 69-67, Oregon gets the win. And by virtue of that, Oregon stays in the hunt for the number four seed in the Pac-12 tournament. Keep in mind, top four seeds in the standings will get buys, first-round buys in Las Vegas. Um, 
And I think it's, you know, whoever's going to be that four team is going to get a huge advantage. And it really is a race between Oregon and Arizona State at this point. If you're a Pac-12 fan, maybe uh, maybe you're looking at the Ducks and Dana Altman and maybe you'll find uh, a little bit of forgiveness for them. But Arizona State has a one-game lead over Oregon. But Arizona State plays UCLA and USC. Oregon plays Cal and Stanford. I got a question for you, John. Do you think Oregon State, they've been playing a little better lately. Can they? Are they going to win a game in the Pac-12 tournament? I don't think so. Unless, here's the thing. Utah's vulnerable right now. Utah's best two players are out. If Oregon State got in a matchup against Utah or Washington in the Pac-12 tournament, if because, again, the top four seeds are out, so it'll be... It'll, it'll probably be Utah and Cal, Washington State, Oregon State. But if if Utah or Washington ended up against Oregon State, you could think about it because I think the Beavers on a one-off could stay close in those games. They've been better. But keep in mind, the Beavers are going to play Stanford and Cal as well the next week. If they can win those two games, they will climb from the 11 seed to the 10 seed which would presumably give them either Washington or Utah. So look out for that. Maybe. The answer is maybe. Yeah. I mean, at 10-19, it's kind of a disappointing season, but you watch the way the Beavs have been playing the last few weeks. It's pretty good, and they're all freshmen and sophomores. Like, you know, I don't want to say it's been a grip season for Oregon State, but it's definitely trending upward uh, from where it was at the start of the year when they got, you know, lose to Portland State twice. They've improved a lot since that moment. Amen to that. I mean, I don't know that the, I don't want to give them too much credit because, you know, it's it's still a bad season, wins and losses, but I think uh, I think if you're looking at it from a Beaver perspective, you, they have their best two players as underclassmen. They if they can get in the portal this off season, maybe Wayne Tangle can do what Bobby Hurley's doing at Arizona State. Brandon Miller, more disappointment at Alabama, as. There was a pat-down ceremony, I guess, pregame. I saw it as he's being introduced. A teammate of Brandon Miller at Alabama gives him a pat-down. Nate Oates, the coach at Alabama, digging and digging himself into trouble. Punch Before it. I get started on the game, it was brought to my attention after the game about our pregame introductions. I think that's something that's been going on all year. I don't really know. I'm not... I don't watch our introductions. I'm not involved with them. I'm drawing up plays during that time. Regardless, it's not appropriate. It's been addressed, and I can assure you it definitely will not happen again the remainder of this year. So I, I still have problems with this. I have problems with this because it, it suggests to me that there's a systemic issue. If this has been go- ongoing throughout the, you know, throughout the season, why didn't somebody on the coaching staff at Alabama – notice it and get in front of it and if it's if it's something that hasn't been ongoing then you know if something hasn't been ongoing then you know why is this okay like why did the Alabama player think this was okay so I have a problem with this like there's a there's a uh, leadership void going on here this is this basketball team's really good nobody's debating that so um, if you have a player in your team that does a pat-down celebration as he's being introduced, and he's just been implicated as part of a 
capital murder case. He's part of the case. It's not charged. Having that kind of ceremony is just a really bad look. But further, Nate Oates not realizing that they've been doing this all year or doing something about it before. Like, somebody should have talked to the kid and said, hey, uh, you know that thing you've been doing? Can't do it anymore. Jayathi Murthy, the president at Oregon State, talked about all the reasons the Pac-12 schools should stay together. She joined us on the show today for a discussion. So there's lots of reasons for us to hold together, and uh, the different members of the Pac-12 conference understand it. Uh, and increasingly my sense is that all this talk of people running off and you know joining the Big Ten or Big 12 or whatever uh, is not it's just talk I, you know I, I see a very different picture when I sit with the CEO group uh, it's a group that does want to work together and does value Pac-12 a great deal does want to work together, does value the Pac-12 she talked about the geography, she talked about the culture, she talked about the academics uh, it sounded to me like all systems are go when you talk about this conference staying together. It's what I've been saying for months, and it's just nice to hear somebody on the record say it out loud. But I thought it was a really good conversation. If you missed any of it, you want to grab it. Uh, you know, the, that interview with Jyothi Murthy is already podcasted and out there. Coming up, we're going to talk to the baseball coach at the University of Portland. They had a huge weekend. Knocked off Texas A&M. Two out of three in an early season matchup. Uh, what are the pilots doing right? We'll talk some baseball next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. University of Portland uh, had a great weekend. I don't know how your weekend went, but they were playing at Texas A&M. That's a, that's a really good baseball school. And Jeff Loomis and his team just cleaned up, won two out of three. Here to talk about it, Jeff Loomis himself. They're home this week, pilots are. How'd that feel, Coach? <laughs> well, it felt pretty great. I, we, we got on a plane just in time to get to Texas and uh, was getting updates here of how much snow is on our field. So, uh, you know, first off, getting out of town was, was uh, a perfect weekend for us to be in Texas. Yeah, give me an idea because um, uh, it, when you're looking at it from the perspective of weather, you know, the Pacific Northwest, we've always talked about the bad weather and how do the baseball schools manage. You know, you go down there, how much field time had you had? How much outdoor time had you got yeah we're incredibly lucky john we got a uh, i'm sure you're aware we've got a new stadium that was built a couple years ago um, as part of the project leading up to the stadium being built uh, we we brought an astroturf uh, and and that's our playing surface we don't have any dirt on the field at all and so we can play and practice pretty much through anything. We added lights uh, a few years ago as well so our guys can be in class all day and then we can practice uh, you know, the, when, it, when it gets dark early like this, we're able to practice at 3.30 and still get a great practice time in. So, in, in all honesty, we've been able to be outside every single day. We're, we're fully prepared to, to start the season. Yeah, look, uh, your team goes there. You know, you go to Texas A&M. That's a power. How, how did you feel about your guys? Were they loose going into the game? You know, what do you say to them before? 
<laughs> well, it's, it's such a unique environment there. I, I, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, there's 7,000 people at the games, and they've got all these traditions and songs, and uh, it was it was a very unique atmosphere, uh, a lot of fun for our guys. They showed up, their fans showed up when we actually took BP on Friday and started in on uh, their, their Instagrams, their Twitters, anything they knew about our guys they started in on. Uh, right from the get-go at BP, and so we we got a quick dose of what it was going to be like, uh, and and uh, just happy with how our guys responded. Obviously, we've you're under a lot of stress there, uh, playing in front of 7,000 people. That's that's uh, a little uh, it's not something that we're used to. We play Oregon State at Hillsboro uh, Hop Stadium there, and we get five six thousand people for that one. Uh, this was every single day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, with just great turnouts. But we're lucky that we have, uh, I think, an experienced team, an older group of guys. And so some of the young guys, for sure, John, had uh, you know, the wide-eye look going. But we have a lot of guys with experience, and they, they handled themselves extremely well. Yeah, and I look at, you know, every year, it's this time of year. I mean, you're, you're seven games into your season now after the three-game series on the weekend. But how long does it take you to get a feel for what you have? It takes a while, and that's what we do look for is depth, you know, and so I like to see that we've got depth in every position. Uh, With 56-game schedule over the course of three or four months, you're looking at uh, playing a lot of games in a short amount of time, and so uh, it's it's really natural for guys to uh, come down with little nagging injuries that might keep them out for a couple of weeks. And so this time of the year is really important for us just to be able to gauge what type of depth we have I have a pretty good idea of who our starters are on a daily basis, but finding time for some of the other guys who might be sitting right behind a starter to get them prepared uh, because, you know, if a starter goes down, we want to be able to fill that hole with the same type of talent that we've seen out there. And, and, um, and so it's important. It's a really important time of the year just so we can gauge what type of depth we have. Yeah, look, uh, you know, we always talk about pitching and defense, talk about hitting. Uh, you know, where do you feel like your hitting is? You got 10 runs in that opener. It looked like it was pretty good. Oh, we, just, we came out against Utah Tech last week and, and threw up 17 runs in the first game. And, uh, you know, it just kind of kept going and going. And we've had uh, some per- performances from individuals. This week, Spencer Scott, a product out of Grant High School, was named the Offensive Player of the Week in the West Coast Conference. Last week, we had uh, Nick Clamp, uh, Utah Tech, uh, he hit uh, 761 on the weekend mm-hmm. and had an on-base percentage of over 800. He's our starting catcher, and it was leading the nation in several categories after four games. I mean, you just don't you just don't have weekends like that. And uh, so we've had some really good individual performances. But to speak to what you're saying, we've been able to put one through nine. Our whole uh, lineup has been able to produce at a pretty high rate at this point. And so we're averaging a lot of runs per game, and we're hitting 336 as a team right now. Uh, On-base percentage is over 400. So, you know, we're just doing a lot of things right right now on the offensive side. you got a big game uh, Wednesday. You'll be at Joe Etzel Field, and then you got a weekend series Friday and a doubleheader Saturday and then another game on Sunday for people to yeah. come out. And I'm hoping for, for clear skies and good weather. Um, how you how you feeling moving towards the weekend i'm hoping that we get the same i I, if we could get some clear skies uh we were able to play through just little showers here and there Uh, it would go a long ways though and still melting some of the snow that's that's held over from last week 
And uh, so we're getting the field pre prepped right now and getting ourselves ready for uh, for action starting Wednesday. And um, yeah, it's just for for people that you know love to see a good brand of baseball, uh, come out to come out to University of Portland. We got a brand new stadium and and uh, a team that plays the game the right way. So I'm hoping that we get a lot of people out here to see this, these these guys perform. Yeah, Jeff Loomis, our guest. Uh, he is the coach, University of Portland baseball. Huge weekend for the Pilots is. They clean up on Texas A&M, win two out of three. Uh, you lose the Sunday game five to four, but you go home feeling pretty good about that. What's that trip home like for you guys? Along, my goodness, we got home last night at two thirty a.m. Uh, because of delays due to weather, and so it's uh, you know the life of a Division One baseball player, I guess. You know these these guys get off the bus at two thirty, and then they've got morning classes that they're expected to be at, you know, and so uh, that, that trip home was a long trip, and it was going to be long one way or the other. Uh, you know, what what transpired over the weekend, I, I you know, we played good baseball. Uh, that's what it came down to. That was my message to the guys ahead of time is forget who we're playing, forget the opponent and what we're – the environment that we're playing in, let's just play the game the way it's meant to be played. And if you if you hit better and play better defense and, and throw more strikes, you're going to come out on top. And, you know, we did that. We, we were down – uh, in the first game in the sixth inning, and then we didn't trail again until the ninth inning of the third uh, game. So, I mean, we went on a run there uh, from the sixth inning of the first game all the way to the ninth inning of the last one, and, and we were three outs away from a sweep. So I I, uh, I just feel like we played some pretty good baseball over there. Look, uh, you're a Hall of Famer at the University of Portland. You still hold the school record with a 372 average, but you got some guys on this team – uh, you got, uh, you know, who are, who are, uh, who can hit and you got Spencer Scott from Grant high school who's the WCC co-player of the week. Uh, you know, how good does it feel to you, Jeff, to be at your alma mater, a place that you love and have some success? It's a great feeling. I mean, I grew up in Oregon city, so it's, it's, uh, it's a great feeling to be able to come back to university of Portland. And, uh, I actually played on the team in 1991, the last time the university of Portland had gone to a regional. And so my lasting memory is of those years when uh, we, we were going to regionals two out of three years there uh, in that stretch. And so, uh, that was my lasting memory. And that's, you know, what I wanted to bring back uh, to the bluff. And, and, um, this school means a lot to me. I got my degree from here and now I'm, I'm back here for my eighth season. And, and um, you know, it's just uh, it's a, it's exciting to come back to a place and and be able to uh, uh, know where all the dorms are, uh, you know, where the kitchen is, and and, uh, and and then be able to you know relay to our recruits and the guys that we have just what a unique experience and what a great education they're going to get here. You have 30 players on your roster. I'm looking at it right now from Oregon and Washington. Why is that important to you? Well, I think it's important because Northwest baseball uh, is at one point was pretty underrepresented, and I think that the word is out on Northwest baseball, and you start to see Northwest kids on multiple rosters. But we we like to stay inside of our region. I think it's really important for us. Um, Jay Colcroft is one of our best offensive players, and you'd mentioned some of the records, and and Jake's going to end up breaking quite a few of these records. Uh, he's he's from California. And we got him as a sophomore um, to commit to come to our place, but that's unique. You know, if you look at our roster, like you said, it's going to be uh, it's going to be the Northwest region, and we take a lot of pride in going out and finding uh, Northwest players to to play in this uh, environment. Yeah, look, I I think it's 
it's remarkable that we see, you know, the success at Oregon State, the success you guys have had at UP, including this weekend. And, you know, you're going to get that game uh, out in Hillsboro against Oregon State. And what does that mean to you to play a game like that in your footprint and have two really good, you know, programs playing each other? Well, it's a lot of fun. And uh, not, I think that's uh, I think that's what why so many people come out to the game is, is they're going to see good baseball. And, and um, you know, the, the state of Oregon right now, there's some really good baseball being played at the college level. And there's no MLB team at this point, right? And so uh, we get, uh, you know, this is the, the best game in town is to come watch these college athletes uh, compete against each other. And, and um, you know, I know one thing about our guys is they have no fear, you know, and that was proven this weekend when they went to play an SEC team. A lot of people didn't uh, expect us to do anything on the national stage. Uh, you know, they're, they're saying that Texas A&M really failed themselves, but I see it a different way and that we were ready to go play those guys. And it doesn't surprise me one bit that we went over there and played well. Yeah, I think, you know, you guys obviously have had success. You're doing it with local kids. There's a lot to celebrate there. Um, you know, yeah. in, the, in, their, in your own conference, um, you know, how, what are you trying to get out of these non-conference games early on that will help you down the road? From the pitching side, we, we we get a chance to get our guys built up, you know, and that's really important for arm care and making sure our guys are healthy uh, is that by the time we get to conference here in the next three weeks, you know, our guys are going to be built up to a, a point where they can throw an extended amount of pitches. Um, and so this early part of the year is really about using – we've got a 16-man pitching staff, and it's about using all 16 of those guys and, and you know, uh, finding out which guys are going to be – um, at the top of their game once we get to the West Coast Conference play. We lead off with Pepperdine here at home in three weeks. And so the goal for the next two weeks is we have, we've already established some guys that are uh, off to good starts, and, and we want to make sure that we go into that series with, um, you know, seven, eight guys that we really feel comfortable that uh, can help us win a conference championship. And so this time of the year is just, you know, ultimately it's, imp it's important for our guys just to, to get those innings underneath them and on the offensive side as well. You know, we – the, the, you can't go live every day in practice. And so these, these at-bats, these pitches, the offensive guys are seeing the, the different velocities, the different types of pitches. You know, it goes a long way in preparing them for what they're going to be facing on the West Coast Conference. Jeff Loomis is our guest, uh, University of Portland baseball coach. Uh, they're coming off a huge weekend, beat Texas A&M on Friday, come back on Saturday, win again, come back on Sunday, tough one, 5-4 loss in College Station. Um, how did you – let's go back to Friday because you win a big one on Friday. You score 10 runs. You know, in most – there are a lot of programs that would go into a game like that against – or a series like that with the number five team of the country. Be happy to get one, celebrate, act like they'd never been there before, and, you know, lose the series. What was the mood on Friday night after the 10-3 to win, and how do you keep your guys focused there? Yeah, we we really just played Friday night. We we played well, um, and and at the end of the day, after the, the the game was over and we beat them pretty soundly, you know, the, the message to the guys was let's enjoy today for today and let's get ready to play tomorrow, you know. And so, uh, a lot of our conversation is how you know how are you going to go uh, fuel up? How are you going to eat? Are you going to take care of your body? And, and uh, are you going to get good sleep tonight, you know, and, and, and so making sure that we're doing things while we're enjoying the victory that day, you know, to, to also make sure we're getting ourselves prepared for the next day. And so, 
I think part of the success is just uh, focusing on that day one day at a time. And I know it's a cliche, but, um, you know, in this case on a, on a Friday night is making sure we're getting good sleep, making sure we're getting a good rollout on Saturday morning, making sure we're getting our, giving ourselves um, best chance to be successful on Saturday. And then when Saturday comes, we scout and report and, and talk about what we did well the day before and what we didn't do well. And, and then we move on, right, and get on to that Saturday game and then go into it with the same expectations, which is to go out and play well and win games. So, um, you know, I think that with our guys, it would have been easy to focus on just winning that day Friday and then, and then um, you know, letting the other two games uh, go, but our guys are, you know, I think that how we do it is, is we, we, we work to prepare them. We work on the process of things and we take that, uh, you know, one day at a time type of an approach and, and it allows us to refocus the next day on the task at hand, which is just to win Saturday's game and forget about what happened on Friday. Yeah, look, uh, I, I think it's great to see UP having some success in baseball. Wanted to give you some love, Coach, because uh, you know you got some home games coming up, and hopefully, uh, you know you'll get good weather, you'll get them in, and then that big series, uh, that big game with uh, Oregon State on the horizon, uh, should be a lot of fun. That's March 21st for people who are interested. They're, you're going to—is that at Goss Stadium or is that in Hillsboro? Uh, it's going to be Hillsboro, and, and okay. we play at Goss uh, Stadium later in the year as well. But, okay. but uh, yeah, we 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 go to Hillsboro because uh, we know that the the numbers of people that want to see that game are increasing every year. And and last year, the last few years, actually, we've had sellouts there. And so I think it's important for as many people to come out as possible and see what type of brand of baseball is being played out here. Yeah, uh, congrats to you guys on a great start to the season. Uh, it's going to be fun to see you guys down the stretch and see you especially in those games against the Pac-12 teams. And, um, you know, hopefully you get some votes. Baseball America, pay attention to this team. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> I'm ready for that. Hey, hey, but don't do this. Don't midweek's going here. Yeah, don't change your philosophy. Like, you know, we see some coaches, they have some success, right? And then they go out and they say, hey, I can recruit out of the region. You're winning with local kids. Good on you. Yeah, we're going to stay local, too. You know, baseball's good here. Love it. Uh, Jeff Loomis, congrats, and we'll get you on the show down the road. Oh, I appreciate it, John. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. There he is, University of Portland baseball coach. They're off to a nice start, 5-2 and two to start the season. Pay attention to them. Don't sleep on them. Texas A&M did, and it cost them. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. What do we have coming up, Stephen? Uh, I heard you get in my ear about it, but... I want to give you some airtime here. Hey, well, thank you. Yeah, uh, we got uh, Portland Timbers, you know. <laughs> Timbers opened up uh, their season as they got their game. Wait, postponed. we got a game? We a have game? a game? Yeah, the game got postponed on Saturday. We got the game against Sporting wow. Kansas City. Portland, a, uh, a slight favorite tonight, John. Not that I'm looking at the lines or anything, but uh, I do got some futures on the Timbers. I, I got a buddy. He's a Timbers guy. Timbers Army. Well, he's not Timbers, Timbers Army, but he's a ticket holder, season ticket holder. He said they're going to be pretty good this year. I got the Timbers at 50-1, to 1, so I'm a Timbers fan this year. I like it. Um, 50 to one though, with all of that drama in the background, can they do that? Well, yeah, dude, they, uh, come on, John, you know this. I got some CLV on them already. They're already down to 25 to one. <laughs> Let's go. I'm a big Timbers uh, guy this year. I need, I, I, need my, I need my scarf. Uh, <laughs> I, need, 
I need, I need, a, we need a scarf for the studio. Are you going to be chanting? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I want to learn all the chants. I'm going to go online and learn all the chants that they're doing. It's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love it. Peter, uh, how are you feeling about uh, No Pulse? Why don't we have like a, why don't we have a four-minute pulse with Peter Sampson right now? Okay. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the program. <laughs> I'm Peter Sampson. This is The Pulse coming at you, blah, 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 from the beautiful blah, 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 blah. Right. All right. There we go. All right. But, uh, like, if you had a pulse, you'd be talking about Lillard. Yeah. Right? So let's, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot like this, you're but you're good like this. You're good on your feet. So, uh, you know, for people who never get to hear the pulse, especially people listening in Fox Sports Eugene or in Klamath Falls or uh, or in Roseburg, like, uh, give them just a little taste of what you would have done. All right. Uh, I don't know if we have, do we have time to fire off my intro there, Stephen? <laughs> yeah, hold on. Let me get it, it. Yeah, sorry, man. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but uh, yeah, let's go ahead and bang this bad boy out. <laughs> If it's worth talking about, you'll find it right here. Welcome to The Pulse with Peter Sampson. Presented by High Caliber Millwrights. And now, live from downtown Portland. He's in it only for the memes. Here's your host, Peter Sampson. Yeah, like I said, greetings and salutations. Are you still coming down from Damian Lillard's performance last night? I know I am. Can we just inject that directly into my veins? Maybe I can get, you know, Dame got drug tested after the game last night. Not just the UA, but the BA. I want to, can I get a look at that vial? I got to imagine that vial was literally bubbling last night. No surprise. Drug tested twice. 71 points. Only three dudes in history have scored more than this in the game. Maybe you've heard of them. A dude named Wilt. Scored 100, maybe betted a couple women during halftime. Pride the goat. After that, a dude named Kobe. Maybe you've heard of him. Third place, David Thompson. Maybe you've heard of him. And, of course, our guy, Damian Lillard. Can we just put the conversation to bed? This is the greatest trailblazer of all time. Yet another accolade added to the list of accomplishments. That is my guy. I can't imagine what it was like in the building. If you want to know what it was like in the building, grab the podcast. Sean Hyken on the program before this, The Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Get the podcast wherever you get a podcast. Well done, man. See? Why don't we do that? Yeah. Whenever you get preempted, <laughs> we just do you riffing for like four or five minutes. I love it. Because what that does is it lets people get a sample of you. And that is truly Peter. Like, if you tune into the show, that is Peter every single show. That's how he starts the show. It's great. Uh, and I want more of that, Peter, on this show. <laughs> Can I get that guy? I mean, that's not why people tune in, but I can do it. Yeah, I'll do it. All right. Listen, I appreciate everybody who's here. Um, It's been fun today. We've had good guests. I like that we had Oregon State's president on uh, to talk about the Pac-12. We had Sean Hyken on in the hour number one, as Peter mentioned, to uh, talk about Lillard's 71-point performance. And Jeff Loomis, University of Portland baseball coach, thanks to all those guests. We're back tomorrow. BFT out.